Okay, we're live here at Pancreation Philosophy, episode 31. My name is Pocholo Cruz, and with me today is my guest... Nick Wilson. And my other guest... Greg Sage, slash co-host Scott McDonald. <laughs> slash. So we had, we had this running joke on how we just have Tim Barry on, but just say he's Scott McDonald yeah. before, and then just, just to see what would happen. But I would anyway. love to hear... Tim Barry's uh, <laughs> like, ideas on communism and socialism yeah. in the voice of Scott McDonald. <laughs> yeah, so it'd be very like Fresh Prince, like when they replace Aunt Viv, but then mm-hmm. they just don't, they never talk about it. <laughs> but yeah. So anyway, so let's, let's bring it back to Nick. All right, so Nick, uh, mostly we, on this show, we talk about people and their martial arts journeys. Yeah. So how about you? How did you get started in martial arts? Oh, well, this is a bit of a story. So, okay. um, a little backstory. I'm an I'm an only child, so I didn't grow up with uh, big brothers or brothers that wanted to roughhouse and play. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I always had fire in my belly since I was like a, a little kid. I mean, I can remember before I ever did martial arts, I was maybe 10 years old, and my friends and I would play Street Fighter, and I'd get really pissed off losing. <laughs> yeah. And I had this one friend who, uh, this friend Trevor, who would talk mad shit like, yeah. under my skin, and then he was good at video games, and he would beat me at Street Fighter. Yeah. And I'd get so fucking mad that I would just. Like, I remember one time I punched him right in the eye after we <laughs> after game of Street Fighter. We're talking Street Fighter, right? Like, that's how much uh, yeah. fire I had in my belly, and, like, he ran home and got mad and stuff. But um, but I was I was an only child, so I didn't really have any concept of how to actually fight or defend myself. And mm-hmm. the, the first memory I have of going, I better learn something, was in fifth grade. Okay. I was a huge WWE fan, or WWF at the time. Yeah. And same kid who I punched in the eye, Trevor, he pissed me off at school. So we were like, that's it. Street fight after school. <laughs> three, <laughs> three o'clock, you know, meet yeah. me here. So it was like me and Trevor met up, and then like 20 other kids who knew the fight was going to go, like, yeah. you know, they formed a circle. And so I go out and I start trying to fight him like a WWF wrestler, like okay. straight like Jake the Snake stomping my foot when I jab, um, <laughs> trying to work the DDT or a suplex. Yeah. And <laughs> as you can imagine, as you can imagine, this shit did not work out well at all. Like this was yeah. really, really bad. So okay. I went home ashamed of myself and played with my WWF action figures to get over the pain of, of losing the street fight to okay. Trevor. We made up and then... Uh, a few years later, I must have been 13 okay. at the time, and this other kid, uh, Dan, in my neighborhood, we were just playing a pickup game of basketball, one-on-one basketball. Okay. And I was pretty decent at basketball back then, so I'm beating him at one-on-one, but he starts talking shit, getting under my skin. Again, I got fire in my belly, so I'm like, fuck you. And he's like, fuck you. So then we start like trying to fight. Like, okay. And it was the ugliest fight anybody's ever seen. We're talking, like, I take a big swing, haymaker, fall on my face. Um, he takes a big swing, falls on his face. It was like, if you can think of fight like a girl, but worse, it was like that. And it was probably one of the most embarrassing fights anybody's ever seen. Maybe even more embarrassing than my attempts to do WWF street fighting years okay. prior. And so after the street fight, you know, Dan's riding off on his bike to go home. And my next door neighbor at the time was a Seattle Police Department detective. Okay. He comes out after him and he, he's laughing his <laughs> he's ass off. He's just watching me. the whole thing. He, yeah. he goes, that was the most pathetic thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> like, you guys are both sorry. I, I would highly encourage you to never get in a fight again. You're going to get hurt if you try to fight people. <laughs> wow. And, and again, like, my pride's hurt. I feel... Great shame in my of myself for for yeah. putting on that performance in front of a police officer and and he's not even like trying to call the cops he's just yeah. like you guys stop just don't ever do that again you're more in danger of yourselves right you're, you're endangering the pavement you're falling on more than you're gonna hurt yourselves and so 
I licked my wounds, and, and at the time, too, I was a huge uh, martial arts movie fan. So, like, back in the 90s, Bloodsport, mm-hmm. Van Damme movies, things like that. And so I go, okay, that's it. I, I need to go study martial arts, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my ass kicked, and I'm going to get taken advantage of, especially as I move through junior high and get into high school with bullies and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I start looking around for different martial arts to train in, and I uh, find one at the YMCA this that they were doing a class called Lotus. Lotus, and, like quote unquote Lotus. Just, and, just, just Lotus, like the flower. Yeah, like, <laughs> like the Lotus flower. Yeah. And so the description at the time was they marketed it as a blend of Taekwondo and karate and all these different martial arts, and they tried to say that you know it was like all these different martial arts combined to make a great martial art. So okay, I go there and sign up for a month. And literally, I spend that first month in the horse stance, practicing counting to ten in Korean, and like doing these like <laughs> these blocks. I'm lifting my one arm over my head, kind of thing, like okay. a karate guy. Um, and so after a month of that, I'm going. I don't think counting ten in Korean is yeah. going to stop a bully from beating my ass. Yeah, I mean, it might ball. confuse him for a little bit. Yeah, like but I then, might like, <laughs> you know surprise him and give myself an opening to, to run away. Yeah. but I don't think that's going to to help me with martial arts. Mm-hmm. And so one of my friends who was also interested in martial arts, this guy Brad, uh, we were reading through Black Belt magazines at the time, and we read a, up on Muay Thai. Okay. And we're like, this sounds like it's real. Like this, these guys sound truly badass. Mm-hmm. I want to learn Muay Thai. But we didn't know anywhere to train. I was living in Bothell at the time. And then one day Brad calls me up and he goes, Dude, I found a Muay Thai gym. And I'm like, where's it at? And he's like, Kirkland. I'm like, well, crap. I, uh, how am I going to get to Kirkland every day from Bothell? Like, maybe my parents will drive me. And he's like, well, I- I'm getting my license next. Usually a little bit older. He's like, I'm getting my license in a few months. I can drive us. Okay. So I was like, cool, let's go sign up. So uh, one weekend I get, I get my parents to drive me out to Kirkland to AMC Pancration and Kickboxing. Mm-hmm. And I go in the gym. What year is this? This is probably 1996. Okay. Jesus dude, right? And some additional yeah. Uh, yeah. context here. Right before I go to this gym, I go to my local VHS video store. And, <laughs> yeah. And which was for the kids listening at home, before Netflix, we had to actually go to a store and pick out what movie we wanted to watch one at a time. Yeah. And so I go to my local VHS store. It's a okay. place uh, called Video Stop or something like that. And Canyon Park, and there's a VHS for Ultimate Fighting Championship 2, and on the on the cover of the the, the VHS was like, blood sport, most most violent thing ever, <laughs> and like, it literally like had in like big bold letters, it was like, fractured eye sockets, contusions, broken bones, busted joints, ligaments, and for like a 14 year old boy, I was like, sign me the fuck up, <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. renting this shit, yeah. like I'm not yeah. gonna tell my parents what it is, I'm gonna wait for them to go to bed and I'm gonna watch this yeah. and absorb it all, so I pop in UFC 2 that night after my parents get in bed, mm-hmm. and I was hooked for life at that point, like I saw some of the most awesome things I've ever seen, there was this guy, Pat Smith, who's a kickboxer, who fought this guy who was a quote unquote ninja, <laughs> Ninja fighter. Yeah. Pretty short into the fight, Pat Smith yeah. finds himself in the mount on top of this ninja master and unleashes a couple of uh, elbows from the mount oh. onto his eye socket, yeah. and yeah. it knocked him out cold. And like it was the most violent thing I'd ever seen in my <laughs> life at that point, like real violence I'd ever seen, mm-hmm. where those elbows went thud, thud, and then that guy was out cold, and like his eye was split all around his eye socket, just bleeding out. And I'm, I was like, oh my god. That was the scariest, most violent thing I've ever seen. And then also on the same tape, of course, was Hoist Gracie, this little guy. Like At the time, I'm going, who's this little man in pajamas? Like He's going to get his ass kicked. He's about to fight this giant dude, and he's going to get beat up. Well, of course, 
hoist, does his thing, chokes the guy out, and I'm going, what the hell was that? <laughs> so I kept like rewinding every finish of hoist Gracie and like slow mowing it and like going, oh, so you like grab the arm like that and pull back, and then the guy like it breaks his arm. <laughs> okay, I can do that. <laughs> so anyways, it was it was really exciting to me, and then also on that UFC tape. Uh, they had like clips showing highlights of the UFC one with mm-hmm. with Ken Shamrock, mm-hmm. and so that kind of uh, crossed with my love of pro wrestling. We're like, here's this big pro wrestling looking dude, yeah, and he's fighting in the finals. But then Hoist Gracie tapped him out. I'm like, this is awesome. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. So mm-hmm. back to what I was originally saying, I find myself visiting AMC Kickboxing and Pancration one Saturday in 1996. Okay, and and I enter in the lobby. And at the time, against the wall, when you would walk in, there's all these pictures on the wall, um, like little three by five pictures that they had developed. Mm-hmm. And there were like pictures of Matt, uh, Matt Hume. There were pictures of Harusha Manishi, the other instructor. Uh, and they're with all these different like celebrity fighters and legendary people. And I look at the wall, and there's a picture of Matt Hume with Ken Shamrock and some other people fighting in Japan. And I'm going, that's the guy from the UFC tape. Like, yeah. I, w- I walk in the door thinking <laughs> I'm going to sign up for Muay Thai. Yeah. And, you know, and Haru was there behind the counter talking to me. He's like, yeah, we do Muay Thai. Like, you guys know Ken Shamrock getting all excited? He's like, yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, we do. Uh, Matt uh, teaches the submission wrestling. He goes over and fights in Japan. He fights in Pancras. And he's friends with Ken Shamrock, blah, blah, blah. And I'm going, so wait, I can learn how to do that here too, like mm-hmm. submissions and stuff like that, like I just saw on the UFC. And Haru's going, yeah, I mean, eventually we'll let you study that too. Um, so I was like, okay, sign me up. <laughs> I signed up that day and basically went to every single class I could uh, that point forward for the foreseeable future. Now, back then the systems were different. If you go to AMC now or pretty much any MMA gym, they teach you everything from day one. It's, yeah. you know, they're gonna teach you striking, teach you grappling, etc. At the time, it was still more of a traditional martial arts gym. So they had a ranking system similar to a belt ranking system, but they used uh, colored t-shirts instead. Okay. And you were not allowed to study submissions until you got to level four. So level four, you had okay. to learn boxing level one, kickboxing level two, Muay Thai level three, and then once you've passed all those tests, then they'll allow you to go start doing submission wrestling, and then all the other levels through black shirt were submission related, wrestling related. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, I mean, I start training right away and just training a lot, and at the time, I was pretty much the only younger person in there. My friend Brad started training with me too that, that turned me on. Yeah. He ended up quitting like four months later, and then there's this other kid who was probably about the same age as me training at the time, um, but he quit one day when him and I were sparring and I punched him in the nose with a jab and I think that was the first time he'd ever been hit in the nose in his life and he cried and went home and never came back. So, yeah. hey, I don't blame him. It sucks getting punched in the nose but that's kind of when you decide whether you want to fight or not. <laughs> yeah, it's like a turning point. Like, do I keep going with this? Totally. Yeah. So, um, so if you can imagine in the mid-90s, no one really knows what MMA is. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people don't even know what Muay Thai is and then I pour myself into training and... You know, I'm, I'm kind of like a thorn in their side, like, let me let me do submissions, let me do submissions. So they let me go in on some classes and things, even though I wasn't black shirt rank. So I started picking up some submission skills and things like that as well. Mm-hmm. But if you fast forward about six months into my training, um, I'm 14 and a half years old. And at the time, I'm like, I'm king of the world now. <laughs> there is nobody at, at Canyon Park junior high school yeah. that can kick my ass now. Like, I am afraid of no bully. So, yeah. <laughs> like, it, it was kind of like walking through life with a, a superpower at that point. So, yeah. and, and, and there was a bunch of punk kids in my neighborhood who thought they were gangsters because they listened to Tupac, you know, the 90s. Yeah. So a lot of the, <laughs> a lot, 90s, of, a yeah. lot of white yeah. kids thinking they were Tupac. Uh-huh. And so a lot of these kids would try to bully me at that point. And I was yeah. like, let's do this. 
on the yeah. main streets of Buffalo. I was like, I, I've been doing, I've been watching Hoist Gracie in slow motion. So yeah. you go ahead, <laughs> so just go ahead and go ahead and try to mess with me. And so like one by one, these kids would start messing with me, and okay. I would take them down, throwing them in like a cross arm bar, and like they'd be like, ow, 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 stop, 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 and like they didn't know what tap outs are. So me being someone who likes to get revenge on people. I, it was, I was going to turn the tables on those bullies, so I would like put them in submissions and arm locks and make them scream, and then I wouldn't let go until they did something embarrassing. I'd be like, I'll let go as soon as you scream like Tarzan, and I would make them be like, oh, oh, oh. or I'd be like, or I'd be like, in your best little girl voice, tell me you're a little bitch, tell me you're a little bitch, and I'd be like, I'm a little bitch, you know, shit like that. I would at junior high, like there's a few kids that would test me and. In the school, I would take him down, like put him in a key lock or Kimura, and be like, "Scream like a girl," and then you would have to scream like a girl in front of a bunch of girls and other other peers and, and get embarrassed. So the bully became the bully. So bully, but the bully became the bully, but only towards other bullies. So I was like the Robin Hood of bullies, where I was, you know, getting revenge on all gotcha. the bullies for all the nerds. It was like Revenge of the Nerds, but with martial arts. So, <laughs> anyways, that's how my martial arts journey began, and, uh, and and that's kind of what brought me to AMC and, and training and things like that back in the '90s. Okay, so so you're there, you know, training, um, like fairly young. So did you um, did you have any intention to compete at all, or did any competitions arise? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, I always was I was always a competitor growing up. I played mm-hmm. basketball, baseball. Uh, I did some wrestling. I, I've always been very competitive. I mean, like I told you the Street Fighter story where I punched my friend to be my Street Fighter. <laughs> yeah. Like that's how competitive I was. I wanted to win, win Street Fighter, and then when he talked shit about me losing, <laughs> punch him in the face. So I knew right away I wanted to compete. And so uh, a month after I started training, I'd only been training a month. Okay. We had uh, intramural fights at AMC. It was basically smoker fights, but mm-hmm. just people from our own gym, students. Okay. And so I signed up to do a, a boxing match with one month of training so they put me in there with this like crazy headgear where it was almost like a fencing headgear where oh, there was, like, it's a like a mask it's still there it probably smells like dog shit now it's 20, 30 years old but <laughs> so I have this giant heavy headgear on and I do a boxing exhibition with this guy named Roy who he at the time was probably in his mid 40s but he's like this old school dude that had been around boxing and boxing gym since he was a little kid mm-hmm. and um, you know nowadays in the 2000s he actually is a judge of professional boxing fights he's judged a bunch of UFCs yeah. um, he's, he's pretty well known within the, the fight industry um, but so I have a boxing match with him and I get just slaughtered so it, immediately it ruins any uh, illusions I have or delusions I have about how good I am after a month of training mm-hmm. and he was really nice like when I went back and watched the tape and thinking about it with hindsight he was yeah. super nice to me but he just kept jabbing me jabbing me jabbing me, and my head's getting snap back snap back snap back and then um, you know I went through it I was fine and everything like that and then the next day I woke up and my neck hurt so bad like my neck was jacked for probably two three days afterwards because my head kept, kept getting snapped back with that heavy headgear on mm-hmm. so that was my first experience fighting and that was the wake-up call of I'm not very good at this mm-hmm. um, I better keep practicing and I better learn a lot but you know from that I was like okay the jab's important so I started practicing the jab a lot okay and then um, about six or eight months into training that was when Haru and Matt came to me and said are you interested in having a, a kickboxing fight and I was like absolutely okay and they go okay well there's a, a fight card going down in Aberdeen Washington uh, we're going to travel down there, and it's actually going to be a, a Muay Thai fight. And immediately I'm going, 
well, hold on. I've only had a boxing exhibition. I've sort of been studying Muay Thai, but you haven't even give, awarded me my um, my yellow shirt, which is the Muay Thai shirt. Okay. I'm like, I haven't even passed kickboxing yet, and you're about to throw me in a, in a Muay Thai fight. And they're like, Nick, trust us. Just train hard. We're going to prepare you for this. Um, you know, it's not Muay Thai like you see on TV. We're not going to elbow. Just knees below the neck. Um, you know, but we're going to train hard, and we're going to get you through. So I said, okay, I trust you guys. Let's do this. Okay. So for, you know, about two months, I trained my ass off, you know, every day, every weekend, hours a day, doing everything they told me to do. Um, and I still, one thing I remember them having me drill right before the fight was, uh, there was this guy who was a hockey player. He was probably about 22 years old, like a big strapping guy. Okay. Like, we're going to do neck wrestling and just <laughs> knees with him. Okay. And so they had me neck wrestling with this beast. Yeah. And we were just kneeing each other. And there was just like round after round after round of doing that. I just remember being so exhausted. And this big, strong guy, but we were just kneeing each other and tearing each other up. And so I think they saw that, and they're like, Nick's going to be fine. But in mm-hmm. my mind, I'm I'm not confident at all. I'm going, I'm freaked out. Mm-hmm. So we uh, the, the, we travel down to Aberdeen for these fights, um, and, and it's in this, uh, like, a community college gymnasium. And it's a pretty big crowd. I would put it at probably, like, 2,000 people. For oh, wow. The first round. Yeah. Like it's it's a, a full gym. The whole, the whole town I mean, of Aberdeen? Yeah, I mean, back <laughs> in that day, when there was events like that, like... There wasn't a lot of them, so a lot of people came out for those things, like because yeah. there was like it's not like it is now. Like there's one, you know, there's one every weekend now. Yeah, there's like something that happened every once three to six months. It, it wasn't in every, and if you're lucky, if it was in your area. It was yeah. never on TV. Yeah, and, and this oh, was a, that's true. Yeah, and it was a mixed card too. So they had pancreation fights, Muay Thai fights, mm-hmm. kickboxing fights, and some boxing fights. Mm-hmm. So you know, all the and, and Aberdeen's a very blue collar town for anybody that's listening that's not familiar with Aberdeen. Um, it's a logging town, very blue collar, so it's kind of a rough town. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely an area that would be interested in fights. So we, we, uh, th- these fights are being put on by twin dragons, martial arts Academy. And I guess, uh, these brothers who are twins in, in the martial arts movies and stuff and did some movies, they had their own gym and, and whatnot. And okay. they're fighters versus AMC fighters. So it was, uh, me and like three other of our amateur MMA guys at the time, mm-hmm. um, Matt Hume and Haru all on this road trip down to Aberdeen. And we go down to the fights. And back then, this is also kind of strange. Back then, weigh-ins were day of the fight. So, day of the, okay. So there was no, like, crazy weight cutting or anything like that. I remember we went, we dra- we traveled down there. We had Mexican food right when we got down there. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember eating my refried beans. Like, a, I, I love Mexican food. I'm eating my refried beans. And, and Matt and Rue were like, and, and this other guy, Walt, one of the fighters were going, be careful. Are you going to shit yourself kind of thing? Like, are you sure you want to eat refried beans before you fight? And I'm like, no, I'm good, fam. I, I love Mexican food, so I'm, yeah. I'm eating like, my refried this beans. Is Texas, like, and yeah. this is hours before you compete? This is yeah. probably, yeah, like four hours before four the hours. fights. Yeah. Fight. And I'm like, it's good, man. I'm from Texas. I love Mexican food. Don't worry. <laughs> so, uh, so anyways, we get to the gym. We do the weigh-ins. And then for you know anybody that's ever fought, both of you guys have fought, you yeah. know, like the worst part of a fight is just the hours of waiting yeah, before yeah, your fight. Yeah. Like there's hours of just waiting around before you even get warmed up. You're just like, you're in your gear and your warm up sweats or whatever, just waiting and waiting and waiting. And then to make matters worse, or maybe it's better. I don't know. They had me in a semi main event position. So I was oh, really, yeah. So I was, I was <laughs> a Muay Thai fight. You, so you're like what? 14, 15 at the time, 14 and a half years 14 old. And a half. I'm in <laughs> eighth or ninth grade, but I know I was yeah. still in junior high school at the time. Yeah. We, our junior high ran through ninth, but yeah. So I'm young, yeah. zero fights, zero fights. My first fight's Muay Thai and I'm also semi main event. Like yeah. and they didn't tell me I was semi main event until I got there. So like, <laughs> Oh, you're third to last. And oh, I'm like, wow. I'm like, yeah. well, crap, no pressure. And, I, yeah. and I'm like, okay, okay. 
And then, um, and then Haru's, you know, coaching me through in the back. He, and he knows I'm just freaking out like I'm nervous. And he's like, he goes, Nick, uh, I know you're nervous. I tell all my fighters this. All the best fighters, I tell you what they do before a fight, Nick. They take a nap. And he's like, just lay down and take a nap. You may not even sleep, but just lay down and close your eyes. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay. So I lay down on some bench in the back and, and try to take a nap. I never fell asleep because the adrenaline's running and my yeah. nerves are pumped, but it kind of calmed me down a little bit. Okay. And then uh, we get a little bit closer to the fight. Uh, then it's time to warm up, you know, kicking the tie pads and everything, getting loose for the fight. And then it's okay, your fight's up next. So then it's like, oh boy, butterfly time, mm-hmm. like here it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they, they bring us out to the ring. I came out to California Love by Tupac, which was the number one single in the whole world at that time. <laughs> yeah. Like, anybody yeah. alive in the mid-90s know that, knows that was the hottest song on the planet. Yeah. So I come out, I'm in the ring waiting, and then out comes this other guy who... He's about two inches taller than me, and he looks older than me. And I'm going, oh, well, and, and he's a Thai guy. And I'm like, man, he's, he looks like he's, you know, and at the time, also, like, you, every white person in the 90s was convinced that all Asian people knew martial arts and would kill him. It was, like, just our brainwashing. True story. Movie. That is a true story. <laughs> like, we that, were convinced that all Asian people yeah. knew karate and could fuck us up. So we're, all, we're, all of us Western white people got together and were like, no, those guys yeah. all know karate. We, we should have been afraid of the Nebraska D1 wrestler. Right. But we thought it was all the Asian guys that beat our ass. So, right, yeah. anyways, I'm standing across the ring from this Asian guy, and I'm like, well, fuck, man, he probably knows the shit, but whatever, I trust Matt and Haru uh, have, have prepped me well. So, bell rings. Immediately go to the center of the ring, and the guy super punches me right in the face. Wow. Rings my bell. Like, it was a flush, clean, hard as he can shot that mm-hmm. rocked me. I was like, boom! But it woke me up right away. I was like, okay, I'm in a fight. Like, all the nerves went out the window, mm-hmm. and now it's, it's in a brawl. And... Most people, it's probably true. Your first fight, it's like a blur. You don't even really know what's happening. It's all muscle memory. Um, And I just remember uh, we get to the third round of a third-round fight. And before the round, I just remember thinking, I'm so exhausted. Like, how am I going to fight another round? It felt like I had cinder blocks on each hand. And, like, I was underwater climbing through mud. You know, I, I felt like I was moving one mile an hour. But I was moving pretty decently at the time. So, anyways, go out there in the third round and we fight. And I, uh, I get this guy over in the corner, and I throw a nine, which is a left roundhouse kick, mm-hmm. right to his uh, midsection. It, he doubles over in the corner, but doesn't go down. But he was, like, hunched over, holding his stomach. Mm-hmm. And then I just teed off with punches on his head. Referee stops the fight, TKO, I win. Um, and then after the fight, you know, Haru's just ecstatic. I'm like, all right, Haru. I, I won a Muay Thai fight, so can I get my yellow shirt now? Because <laughs> I just knocked a guy out in Muay Thai, so uh, I yeah. feel like I should. He's like, you get the shirt. And, and, then, and he goes, oh, and by the way, Nick, I didn't tell you this. Um, your opponent, he's from Thailand. He's been training since he's five years old. So good job. <laughs> oh, wow. How old was he? Do you remember? Well, we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> so I'm, I, I'm like, whoa, shit. And he's like, I didn't want to tell you before the fight because <laughs> yeah. you were already freaked out. So yeah. that would have scared you and intimidated you. And I was like, well, goddamn, that's uh, yeah. okay. I feel pretty good about that, but yeah. I kind of wish I would have known. Yeah. Maybe I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> and I saw my opponent after the fight. He comes, uh, he comes limping up to me because I kicked his legs so many times. He comes limping up and. He was like, good fight. And I was like, good fight. And he goes, I want a rematch. And I was like, anytime, but you're going to fight us up at AMC if we have a rematch. Yeah. And uh, never happened. He never came back for yeah. seconds. So um, so at the time, they told me I was 14. They told me he was 16. Okay. Now, fast forward to only one month ago. Yeah. Greg's hanging out with uh, Matt Hume. <laughs> okay. And uh, Greg texts me, oh, I'm hanging out with Matt. 
And I go, oh, say hi to Matt, you know, yeah. hope he's doing well kind of thing. And so Greg tells Matt hello, and that must have triggered Matt's memory of that, that fight that weekend. Yeah. And, and Matt's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Nick knocked out some, like, 22-year-old from Thailand. <laughs> and yeah. I was super pissed because, um, yeah, those matchmakers told us he was a 16-year-old okay. with no experience. Yeah. And we get down there on fight night, and I take one look at this guy, and I'm like, that's a grown man. <laughs> Like, that guy's a grown man, and, and I got lied to. And um, Matt Hume is, for anybody that doesn't know, is very serious about matchmaking, like, on the amateur level particularly, where if you're going to if you're gonna have one of his fighters versus another fighter, they better be of equal size, equal experience, um, pretty much similar to everything to make it a fair fight. Mm-hmm. He's not going to throw one of his amateurs in with some gorilla that's going to destroy him and knock him out kind of thing in 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. So Matt's hot. Like he's, I guess Matt goes uh, I do. I do believe what Matt told me. He's like, he went up to the coaches afterward and goes, if you ever do this again, I'm going to kick your asses. Which <laughs> yeah. is not like, Matt, Matt doesn't threaten people like often. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I think it's a very rare thing. So when he does, and it's like people take notice when he does. So and wow. I don't think yeah. it's a threat either from Matt. When he, If Matt Hume threatens to kick your ass, I think right. it's more of a statement of fact. Yeah, uh, right, you know, right. You are going to get your ass kicked. This is not a threat. It's more like your final notice to pay this bill. <laughs> you know. So, anyways, uh, so my first fight ever. I'm 14, Muay Thai, and apparently I fought some grown ass man. Wow. So grown Thai man. Yeah. It's, it's actually a good thing I didn't find out he's a grown man until you know now I'm almost 40 years old because my ego was already out of control after I go down there. Knock yeah. out a guy from Thailand that's been yeah. training all his life. So I, I went back home thinking, like, nobody can beat me up. <laughs> Anybody, all yeah. you high schoolers, all you junior high schoolers, you're on yeah. fucking notice. If you want some, I'm going to knock your ass out. I'm going to tap your ass out. Come get some, bitch. I'll beat a grown man from another country. <laughs> right. Well, well, no, I thought he was 16. But yeah. I, you know, when you're I beat 14, an older kid from another country. That's right. Yeah. It's like you're, you're, you're a junior high kid and you beat yeah. out the junior from high school. Right. So. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I thought I was invincible at that point, and I just kept training from there. Okay. Wow, that's, uh, I mean, that's not the typical first fight for sure. <laughs> 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 to that's, say the least. It was the 90s. Things are a lot it, more organized it was, now. It was, yeah. You know, that, that's I'd better say, oddly, things are much more ethical with matchmaking now, too. Yeah. In a yeah, way. In a, in yeah. a way. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. harder to get away with that stuff now with yeah. the internet. I mean, nowadays... People know usually like yeah. if this guy's had other fights because they can see videos on YouTube mm-hmm. or whatever it is. That's true, but yeah, it was really was just a lot wilder. Like I mean, it was, it was. I mean, yeah. even I think amateur in at least in our area was like the Wild West up until probably eight nine years ago. Was, yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah, even to like the two thousands, it was pretty Wild West. Exactly. I mean, there was, yeah, because no regulation. You know, there were there were no regulations. No people laws. Still came in with like no shin pads and yeah, just yeah. small was, just four ounce gloves. Matt was yeah. the first person to get regulations in the Washington State Athletic Commission back in the nineties. He had, yeah. they had something called the United Full Contact Fighting Federation that yeah. they had set up, and mm-hmm. he had he had just started getting our boxing and wrestling commission to say okay. Let's, let's just adopt these rules informally so that we can have some semblance of organization so people aren't getting hurt mm-hmm. when we have these fights. Because they would promote, they would do amateur MMA, MMA fights, and we were some of the first people that had little gloves, you know, like that we have now, like the MMA yeah. gloves. Like back then, most MMA was bare knuckle. So, oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, even then, Matt, Matt was like, even though there was no law on it, Matt, Matt, Matt made people wear shin guards in yes. MMA for their or kickboxing yeah oh yeah or Muay Thai for their first three or four fights which he kind of still does even though like it's weird because you have to wear shin guards for MMA amateur in Washington State but, yeah, but kickboxing, kickboxing Muay Thai you nope don't. sure don't yeah, yeah. which is 
I know that's, that's literally always, almost like, no yeah, sense. No like, it's like the most backwards like, thing ever. From so. the, there's a lot of weird things like that in the yeah. fight game, absolutely. Yeah. But it was it was definitely a, a different scene in the '90s as far as the, the local amateur. It was really robust too. We had some amazing um, kickboxing talent in our region. I saw some incredible kickboxing fights back in the day. Mm-hmm. Saw some pretty cool MMA fights. Uh, Back in the early or the late '90s as well, so, uh, of guys who would later go on to be pretty pretty big time. Like I saw, I believe it was his first fight ever was uh, Josh Barnett oh, fighting wow. an amateur fight at AMC. Yeah. Before he trained at AMC. Yeah. So where was Josh? Like, was he where was he training at the time? Do you know, or was it just like different? I, I think he was training just informally with like wrestling guys, like amateur okay. wrestling guys, and he yeah. was a uh, he was watching tape. So he was kind of doing the same thing I did the first time watching <laughs> yeah, UFC, where watching like, pause, VHS tape, <laughs> rewind, slow mo, pause, and like picking up techniques that way. Okay. Um, but he was just a, a, a big like country strong amateur wrestler guy. Yeah. And he was fighting one of our best uh, MMA students at the time. Okay. This guy Chris and I was the cameraman for that fight, and I remember sitting up uh, from from my purse videotaping, and Josh Barnett looked like just some fat guy. Like, yeah, he uh, he didn't look athletic at all. He looked like some fat kid, and I'm like, oh, our guy Chris is about to fuck him up. Mm-hmm. And bell rings, and Josh Barnett kicks our guy's ass. I mean, just annihilates him, and I'm like, whoa, that guy was impressive. Um, and then, of course, Josh ends up training at AMC, going on to win heavyweight championships, and being a prolific MMA fighter. Yeah, that that that's crazy because especially because I know he came in pretty young too, right? Like, wasn't he? Oh yeah, he yeah. was. He had to have been early twenties. Yeah. Um, during that, that amateur fight. Because he's 21 when he won the UFC heavyweight title. Maybe he was even yeah. like 18. Yeah, no, I think his first amateur fight, he was like 16 or 17 years old. Yeah, yeah he was, I think, just out of high school when I saw that fight. Yeah. yeah. He was pretty, really young. It's pretty nuts. Um, okay, so let's see. So any like any other like people that you recall like watching like back in the day that you didn't think that would end up you know doing something later on? Um, not as high profile as, as, as Josh. There was... Um, some guys that you know their impact was definitely uh, it's still being felt today. So there's these uh, these two brothers that we trained with at the time, these mm-hmm. twins, uh, the Lolly brothers, Charlie uh, and Todd Lolly, mm-hmm. and um, they were oh god, they were mean. So I used to train with these guys, and they were smaller guys. They probably would have been um, like 145 weight class guys mm-hmm. if they were fighting in the modern era. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they were is they were these two just fiery, like angry little twin guys that. <laughs> They were like your typical guy that had the Napoleon complex of like, I may not be six foot two, but I will kick everybody's ass. Like, I'm not taking shit from anybody. Yeah. And like, they were both redheads and fiery and like, they were into rugby and just being violent. They were just violent little brothers. Mm-hmm. And I, they used to beat the shit out of me all the time. But they went on, um, I believe one of them may have competed at the first Abu Dhabi. Okay. Um, and um, both of them, I think, have competed in King of the Cage and a bunch of kind of, uh, you know, low-level professional MMA fights back in the day, um, never went UFC, but they ended up opening their own MMA gym down in Arizona, and they've trained multiple uh, UFC yeah. fighters and champions. they got guys in Bellator and UFC. They're, they're still cornering fighters all the time, so yep. their impact is still being felt. There's a lot of those guys that trained with Matt Hume and us back in the 90s that went on and opened their own gym, and now they train amateurs and pros and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, that, that kind of... Uh coaching tree or 100% there. there's a lot of people yeah. that fall under the Matt Hume coaching tree mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty extensive roots it's yeah. an interesting uh, coaching very tree far, yeah. it's, uh, you know Matt Hume's coaching tree it kind of it, it intersects with Bruce Lee it intersects with the um, the Pancras Dojo over in Japan which mm-hmm. is more of like catch wrestling mm-hmm. um, so that you know he's got an interesting background with 
boxing, Thai boxing, uh, like kind of kung fu from Bruce Lee, his experience in the Pancras Dojo uh, with catch wrestling and submissions and kickboxing and training Muay Thai with Haru, who was an amazing uh, kickboxing trainer and coach himself and, and trained Maurice Smith, who was an undefeated guy through, throughout the 90s, mm-hmm. got an MMA himself, won the UFC championship. So, I mean, Matt Hume's coaching tree is something else. Like, it's it's like nothing else on the planet, really. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so let's go back uh, to your, I guess, like, competitive career. So did you have another fight, like, afterwards? Yeah, I had, a, yeah. I had a, the, the, the one fight afterwards that stands out was I had another kickboxing fight probably a year after the one where I won. Okay. Now, this one went differently where... I didn't take the fight seriously enough. I think it was probably because I was feeling myself a little bit too much as far as um, my skill level because I was, I was pretty good skill-wise. skill, skill wise. So I didn't really put the training in that I should have, and I didn't take it seriously at all. Like I remember I stayed – I like hung out with my friends late at night, the night before the fight, mm-hmm. um, didn't get enough sleep, like probably had shitty food that night. And didn't have the cardio I should have had going into a kickboxing fight. So I go into this kickboxing fight, again, with a guy older than me because no one was my age back then. So this time I'm 15 and a half and I'm fighting a guy who's 19 years old and a student at University of Washington. Okay. And he was one of Maurice Smith's kickboxing students. And we had a kickboxing match and it was a really competitive fight. And we went back and forth a lot. And I just didn't have cardio. It was like the first round I win... Second round, I win part of the round, but then I start gassing out. And I remember halfway through the second round, he bloodies my nose up a little bit, starts bleeding, and I'm so gassed out. I'm like, I just need a break. So I'm just like standing there, letting him punch me. He's not hurting me. I'm just like, like catching my breath. Haru and Matt are yelling at me like, move, do something, move, do something. Third round comes. I'm still out of breath, but he's starting to get tired too. Mm-hmm. I'm really beating his legs up a lot. And then Matt goes, fake low 10. Two, which was basically just a fake a low kick and to do a Superman punch. Mm-hmm. And so I do that and I catch him with the Superman punch and, and he was out on his feet. And then Matt's going, high 10, high 10, which is a high kick to the head. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm so gassed out at that time, I can't even throw it. I'm just staring at him going, <gasps> like I can picture Bob Sapp in the middle of the fight. Going, <laughs> like I'm staring at this guy who's like, you know, half knocked out. All I got to do is punch him and I'm going to end the fight. Yeah. I end up throwing a few more punches. Um, beating him some more. He gets on his bicycle and avoids me, and the round ends. Um, so that fight, I end up losing by split decision. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, that's a wake-up call, too, because you know it shows that you can't just get by on skills. You need cardio. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, I felt pretty good, even though I had shit cardio. I went there and almost won the fight. Um, and then after the fight, I actually got a good compliment from Maurice Smith. He came back to me in, in the locker room and was like, hey, good fight, and those are some awesome low kicks. Like Those were really good. So. Oh. Um, I was that, that made me really happy and, and some backstory on that was when I first started training you know things were really awkward feeling like mm-hmm. throwing kicks felt awkward I threw them like crap they were ugly and Maurice Smith was still training with us at that time and he was beating the heavy bag after class one day and I was practicing techniques and he was watching me kick and he goes try this like he was showing me trying to correct me on the low kicks and mm-hmm. gave me some pointers I still couldn't throw it very good but he was trying to help me with low kicks so to you know two years later or whatever to have him compliment me on low kicks was like oh that's kind of nice the world champs complimenting me but anyways won that fight um had some other uh kind of more like exhibition fights Mm -hmm. uh back then it was they did a lot of smokers back then where 
I would be on, I would be training on a Saturday, and, yeah. and Matt would just be like, "Hey, want to fight tonight?" <laughs> and I'd be like, "Yeah, let's go fight tonight." <laughs> All right. <laughs> like I had this one where, um, at the time, they used to. Uh, if you've ever seen the old Pancras that Matt fought in, where they would wear wrestling shoes, or yeah, shin like pads the big over. wrestling shoes. Yeah. So we used to train like that all the time. Okay. Wrestling shoes or shin pads, like it was just part of what we would train. So okay. Like, Some people I, still do that, Ricky Crane. Ricky Crane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I got real used to shin pads and, and wrestling shoes. And one of those uh, days where Matt's like, hey, want to fight tonight? And I'm like, yeah, sure. He's like, okay, it's going to be a pancreation exhibition fight. Uh, you know, this guy's a real good grappler, but he sucks to strike him. So I'm like, okay, cool. So I go there, and I'm warming up in the back, and I got my wrestling shoes on, my shin pads over the shoes. Mm-hmm. And then Matt's like, oh, you got to take those shoes off. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, oh, no, you can't wear those. And I'm, mm. I'm like, well, fuck, I've been training with nothing but shoes on, like, for the last three months. So I'm, like, really used to having the shoes on. Yeah. And it's a, to go from, like, training with shoes to fighting without, like, it's kind of a curveball. And I'm not as sure of my footing and things like that. Mm-hmm. So that kind of threw me off. But anyways, I go in there and I get in the ring with this guy who's, like, some badass wrestler. He just embarrasses me. He just takes me down. Submission, tap out, get back up. It's an exhibition, so the fight's not over. He's oh, like, they just keep going. <laughs> it's, just, yeah. it's just like basically five minutes of takes me down, puts me in a submission, I tap out over and over and over again. He's probably 20 years old or something like that. Yep. So that, that sucked. Um, but my, uh, my favorite exhibition-type fight was still would, would have to be back in the 90s at AMC. They did a, another intramural like tournament thing. Okay. If you can think of like K one Grand Prix, but all AMC students, yeah, <laughs> we did that one Saturday. So instead of <laughs> instead of training, we just had all kickboxing students who wanted to be part of the tournament. Basically, were part of this kickboxing fight to the death tournament. Okay, and so I think I, I think it was three or four fights I had that day. So I ended up winning this you know exhibition tournament where I take out three of our students, and mm-hmm. you know I'm fighting nothing but grown men the whole time because I'm the only kid there. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was one of my most uh, proud moments because I beat up a bunch of tough guys. And like in the last one, I forget the guy's name, but he was just like this tough guy. He must have been like 28 years old. And like he, he exploded my nose all over my face. Oh. Like, like blood is all over my shirt. And we were like, fuck it, dude. And we were just still brawling through. And, and anyways, like I ended up winning that one day tournament at AMC. And I was completely dead afterwards. My mom picks <laughs> me up and she's like, why do you have blood all over your shirt? And like, what the hell are you doing? Like, she's freaking out. Like, what yeah. are they doing to you there? Yeah, Stuff like, like what that. is going on? I'm like, Mom, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. But, you know, just, that, that was fun. But that was also really brutal for having three kickboxing fights in one day. Oh, for sure. <laughs> but different time. Like, they did brutal stuff like that. I remember one time in training, Haru goes, uh, okay, Nick, today for training, uh, you're going to spar with Erickson, who was this other guy who was probably 25 years old, and he was a real good kickboxer, a little bigger than me. Mm-hmm. Tough guy, and he was always really mean to me in sparring. Like, he gave zero fucks that I was a kid yeah. and would just kick the shit out of me. And so that day, he was like, okay, today you and Erickson are going to spar one round, 60 minutes. <laughs> and, and I go, no breaks? And he's like, you're just going to do one round, 60 minutes. And I'm like, we're like, okay, coach. And so we do a one-hour sparring round where I'm just in survival mode pretty much the whole time because Erickson's just abusing me. I mean, I'm fighting back. Like, I'm catching him, but he's just bigger than me, stronger than me, you know, all that stuff. So that was pretty brutal. Like, that was an example of some of the stuff we did back then that, you know, modern martial arts, they probably wouldn't do stuff like that, (laughs) some of the the training. Okay. Um, What are some, I guess... 
in terms of like training stories like who are, who are some other uh, memorable training partners that you had well, there's a lot well yeah. um, another guy that a lot of people today probably have never heard of that uh, he was like an AMC legend from back in the day this guy Todd Bjornathan um, who's uh, a good friend of Matt's yeah. and um, yeah. Todd was a badass wrestler badass boxer uh, who kind of you know, went through the Pankers Dojo with Matt and everything? He was Pankers champion at one point, wasn't he? Like way uh, back in the day. No, he didn't, he didn't win Pankers championship. He wasn't. I thought, I, th- no. I thought he had some fights. I thought he'd be like Akihiro Gono. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he fought Gono. He, yeah. he he fought several people, and yeah. um, well, back then it was an MMA. It was no holds barred. Yeah, an HB. No. Yeah. Um, one the the one I really remember him having a fight on was he fought this guy Orlando V, who was a Thai mm-hmm. boxer and competed. Okay. I think he was in UFC too. Okay. Um, but he was a he was a nasty Muay Thai fighter. Um, and he had him and Matt him and Todd had a really good fight at Super Brawl in Hawaii um, where Orlando like cut him up with elbows and Todd was beating him up too I think Todd won that one by decision Um, but Todd was a tough as nails fighter uh, and there's this other time where Matt had me and Todd do kickboxing sparring not a one hour round thankfully but we were were sparring and um, at first you know Todd's being pretty pretty nice with me because you know he's a pro fighter he's a tough badass and I'm a teenager and so at some point during the sparring round, I catch Todd with a nice straight right, like right to the nose. Like I caught him flush mm-hmm. and hard. And I, it, it just triggered something in Todd where he's like, okay, so you're going to punch me in my face. <laughs> Todd spends the next 90 seconds of the round beating the fuck out of me. Like not even just like being stiff, like beating the shit out of me to the point where he had me in the corner and was just teeing me off. And like Matt and some of the other guys were watching like, Todd! Calm down. He's just a kid. And then you see Todd kind of like go, oh, yeah. And like kind of like slow down a little bit into the round. I just, I'm like sitting there kind of like tears in my eyes. Like I just got my ass kicked. And, um, you know, Todd just manhandled me. And he's like, uh, sorry about that, champ. Um, but there, there was lots of crazy training back in the day. So the difference between uh, anybody that trains at AMC now and then training back then was back then Matt Hume was an active competitor. Yeah. Matt Hume was in his athletic prime. Matt Hume, who is still extremely competitive and doesn't ever want to lose, was that times a thousand in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And so he would lead fighters training on Saturday, similar to what he still does in the modern era. And I just remember one day where he's just, just grinding his dick into the dirt. Like, everybody's exhausted. We've been training two hours. Like, you know, m- muscles are just twitching. Eyelids are twitching because you're so exhausted. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay. Now we're going to do the thing where, you know, you have the partner stand on your stomach and, like, step up and down and, like, yeah. walk on your stomach. And we did that. And everybody's like, oh, God, oh, God. And he's like, now we're going to climb the rope. Everybody's <laughs> going to climb the rope. Yeah. And I just remember him. People were climbing the rope. And Matt was, like, walking around. I have this vivid image of Matt going, we don't train fighters here. We don't train fighters. We train fucking gladiators. And they were all also like, oh God. <laughs> like, just climbing the rope. Up the rope. Just, we gotta climb the rope. No yeah. one complain. Because <laughs> yeah. he's like, anybody wants to complain, we'll keep going. That like, kind of thing. Like, you know, he's getting himself ready for fights and stuff. So it was just it was just nuts back in the day. Like the stuff he would have us do um, got me in hella good shape. But mm-hmm. it was, uh, looking back in <laughs> hindsight, like it's pretty crazy that I was a teenager like <laughs> With these grown-ass pro fighters that were fighting no-holds-barred fights professionally all over the world. Like, there's one guy, uh, Joe Estes, who was a, a guy that, um, yeah. he was, he's probably like 6'4", and he was like a 280-pound steroid gorilla. Oh, wow. Okay. And um, Not a small fella. No, no, no. no, no. Big dude. <laughs> and so, Matt takes this guy who's just like, I think he might have done a little bit of wrestling, a little bit of martial arts in his past. Mm-hmm. Matt takes this guy, and after like six months of training... 
take uh, trains this guy for six months, then takes him over to Japan, mm-hmm. and he goes and fights Ensign Inui in a, oh. in a, in a <laughs> yeah. MMA fight. In an MMA fight, yeah, yeah. after in six months fight. of training. Yeah, yeah. and no one, I think it was Shudo back okay. in the day. And, and, and even comes out super disrespectful, so like, comes out to the ring to the song, uh, I forget the name of the song, but it's like, it's from the Beetlejuice movie, it's in the Beetlejuice movie where it's like, Mr. Tally Man, Tally Me Banana. <laughs> and a bit, it's, okay. it's kind of derogatory towards Islanders. Oh, wow. So he's he about gets, to fight gets, Ensign. He gets in a way. He's from the islands. <laughs> yeah. And so it's kind of like yeah. his entrance music is like, fuck you, Ensign, I'm coming here to rumble. <laughs> oh, wow. And so yeah. after six months of training, this guy beats Ensign Inouye. And, oh, wow. Uh, and, okay. and, and it was like a big deal. So Matt like took this just gorilla and like trained him into a, a machine in six months and took him over to Japan and I mean that, that's pretty impressive because you know Ensign in a way like I'm pretty sure yeah he armbarred Randy Couture oh, yeah. back in the day he yeah. did yeah. yeah he's a and he's a yeah. prolific MMA fighter uh, himself yeah absolutely it's yeah it's getting to the point in our sport where you yeah. forget like like it's been around long enough where there were guys like Ensign Inouye that you like people don't know about yeah that should or Todd Bjornathan and they should go back and find those guys and yes. kind of learn from them because even to this day Todd will come over I mean I think Todd lives in Idaho now mm-hmm. okay but when he's over here yeah. like Matt will take time once AMC's closed up and they'll work together I remember I was closing up AMC one night after kickboxing and it was just him and Todd Bjornathan in geese oh <laughs> in the ring yeah just yeah. like working through things like they did 20 years before that you know oh, what yeah. I mean and Todd I mean like Todd guys like Todd and Ensign Anui like the, old, the younger guys should go back and find those guys and see some of the good stuff they did you know what I mean yeah if you could find tape on Todd oh uh, yeah like, I do think he was pancreas champ though I mean, maybe I'm wrong but I think no, he was like he, the first pancreas champ no he was never pancreas champ uh, that, that was it. that was like when I was a super fan of that stuff back uh, in the day but yeah. um but Todd was one to watch. Matt Hume's one to watch. Eric Paulson's one to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, old Pat Militich is one to watch. And they all fight each other. Yeah, they, all, they, they all fight each other. That's the thing I just found uh, on YouTube. Yeah, he like, posted yeah, Pat, yeah, Pat's fight. I mean, Pat Militich versus Matt. Matt, yeah. And then he breaks Pat's nose, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. he breaks Pat's that, nose. With the, yeah. with the same knee he talks yes. about. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, you yeah. bang him in the you bang him in the body a few yeah. times. So they put their hands down, and then you throw the same knee. You just come up and hit him in the nose. And, yeah. like, mm-hmm. and he starched Militich. And, and Militich is a... Bad dude. Yeah, it's not like Mil- Mil- yeah, it's not like Mil- 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 walk in the park. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, exactly. It's, yeah. uh, if, if there's one big tragedy, it was that uh, Matt Matt wasn't able to stay healthy or get an opportunity to compete in the '90s. And a lot a lot of people don't realize there's so much politics in the early UFC. So back in UFCs like one through four, pretty much, uh, Matt Hume, Maurice Smith, Todd, a lot of the guys we trained with actively were trying to get in those tournaments like mm-hmm. they were like sign me up because the first ufc it was kind of they put it out and i think black belt magazine they're like you you think you're a tough guy you know karate <laughs> yeah come fight right. yeah so i mean i mean some history on that because i don't think people understand the ufc was brought to the u.s by art davies and the gracie family yes to push brazilian jiu-jitsu into the american system it was the bjj infomercial right exactly. and it worked great yes but that's why they didn't let guys like matt and todd fight in it because I mean Matt and Todd and those guys would have possibly and almost certainly beat some of those BJJ guys you know mm-hmm. what I mean without a doubt yeah because they had, they had striking in they knew the submissions and they, yeah. all those guys those early guys were getting beat by Hoist because they didn't know what submissions yeah, were yeah and, so. and then they put Ken Shamrock in there and Ken Shamrock trained at the Pancreas Dojo but he wasn't you know I'm not going to take anything away from him but he wasn't as proficient as guys like Todd and Matt you know what I mean no. like Ken was afraid of Matt you know what I mean? Frank was afraid of Matt, you know what I mean? Because of how good those guys were, you know? So, you know, right. they saw somebody who might be able to match up with 
hoist, but still going to... I mean, it was just pro wrestling. And, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? And, it, and all, all it did was Ken Shamrock just... They made Ken Shamrock look like a, ba- a bigger badass just to put uh, Hoist Gracie over, basically. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? To, to So that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu could could grow in America. Yeah, and it, it worked. I mean, it worked. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, and Ken was someone who, like you're saying, wasn't a slick with technique. And he would, yeah. he would try to muscle guys. So when right. he went against Hoist, Hoist had better technique and got caught. Yeah. Um, got choked out. So. And that's not to take anything away from Ken Shamrock. Because back oh, no. in the day, Ken Shamrock was a very dangerous competitor. And, and in fairness, Ken got choked out with a geese sleeve, which, you know, in modern era, <laughs> right. ain't going to happen. Right. <laughs> Uh, but, but yeah, there was a bunch of those guys in the early UFC that uh, those real bad dudes that they wanted in, and man, I would have loved to have seen a Marie Smith at UFC two or a Matt Hume at UFC one. Like, yeah, I would have loved to have seen Matt versus Hoist. You know what yeah. I mean? The the other one Matt told me back back in the day is he tried to get on American Gladiators as well. American Gladiators. Did they tell me it was too small? Right? It, yeah, because they wanted like juice heads. But Matt yeah. told me him and Todd like their plan was they were gonna, if they got on they were just gonna like fuck gladiators up like <laughs> yeah. they're gonna like elbow them oh well, I thought he wanted to beat American Gladiator no, they're like, like no you're too small no no he wanted to be a contestant oh Contest- Jesus <laughs> oh I didn't know that because he used to do tryouts oh poor Malibu <laughs> that guy wouldn't have lasted 10 seconds with Matt Hume Malibu right. would have Malibu would have had a shorter career Can than you he already one of those dudes in the eliminator with the kick pad trying to stop Matt Hume fuck comes the flying knee motherfucker knock him out that's Whoa. hilarious. That, Man, that, that would have been that, the greatest videos I've ever seen in my that life. That would have been a great episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, but yeah, that's it. I mean, those early UFCs were just infomercials. They didn't have the, the top talent that, uh, you know, they tried to advertise. Oh, the best shit. of all martial artists. <laughs> I still can't imagine Matt Hume and Todd Bjornathan on American Gladiators. <laughs> that shit would be on repeat on my television oh. in constant fashion. <laughs> constant. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it, it would have been glorious. Oh, it would have been, been the greatest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Because they would have abused gladiators. They would have oh. got at least one gladiator. Oh, yeah. 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 For sure. Oh, man. Oh, we need, this is, we need a time machine for, for two, two things. To, to make that. Two yeah. things. Okay. We need a time machine to make sure this happens. Todd Bjornathan and Matt Hume on American Gladiators. Yeah. And then tell Tim Barry to stop picking on Mike Monica. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, that's what we need a time machine for right now. Oh. <laughs> Just change the course of history. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Okay. So let's see. So any um, any other uh, training partners? I mean, I know there's so many, but any other uh, like memorable training partners that that you had? Um, there's so many memorable ones, yeah. but another one was uh, he wasn't my specific training partner, mm-hmm. but in uh, UFC three there was this guy that fought. Uh, his name was Chemo. <laughs> he was he was the first dude that ever like took it to Hoist Gracie that Hoist Gracie had a lot of trouble with, mm-hmm. and that's the guy that Hoist grabbed his hair to submit him. Right. Yes. Yeah. Pulled his hair down into a trap. Yeah, because he had like a ponytail. Right. Like, yeah. A brain yeah. Pacific, yeah. A giant Pacific Islander. Like, think yeah. uh, for those that don't know Chemo, go Google him. But he was a three hundred pound juice head uh, Islander guy. Um, mm-hmm. He he would carry a giant wooden cross on his back to the ring, <laughs> and had a giant like cross tattooed on his back like all for the name of Jesus, and he was going to go kick some ass for Jesus. And so <laughs> in UFC 3, he, uh, he, he almost beat uh, Hoist Gracie, and he was the first person to make Hoist look human. Hoist taps him out, but then Hoist can't continue in the term- tournament due to exhaustion after that fight. So after that fight, um, sometime after that fight, Kimo ends up coming to AMC to train with us. Okay. Because um, Kimo was like a big raw dude but had no skills. So he needed to learn submissions so he wasn't getting choked out and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, so he comes to AMC, and I guess as legend was ha- would have it, I wasn't there for this particular day, but Kimo's dad brings Kimo to AMC, and Kimo's kind of like, you know, I'm a big tough guy. What are you going to show me, Matt Hume? Like, yeah. 
Matt Hume, you're not a 300 pound gorilla like I am. Like, what are you going to do to me? So I was like, okay, day one, get in the ring with me, chemo. Matt gets chemo in the ring and works him for, if anybody's ever seen Matt Hume humble a man, this is a, I guess a story <laughs> where Matt Hume humbles this man for 30 minutes or whatever it is, taps him out a bunch. Uh, I guess chemo is crying. And as chemo's crying, chemo's dad comes in and goes, Chemo, you stay here and train. This is where you train now. So chemo came and, <laughs> and like left him. It just left like him. left it. Like didn't like wasn't like what's your ticket back or anything. Went to the airport and left him. Yeah, I was like, good luck and Godspeed. Yeah. And so chemo became uh, one of our teammates for about six months, and he got prepared to fight uh, Ken Shamrock in like UFC five or something like that. Yeah. Some, they had a super fight and. Um, so he trained with us for those months with Ken Shamrock, and he got a lot better, and he was a big dude, but once the bell rang in the Shamrock fight, he basically forgot about everything Matt told him to do. Like, they had a really specific game plan to take out Shamrock, and they were going to... They were literally planning to kick Shamrock's knee out. They were going to blow his knee out. That was okay. the strategy going into the fight. So, like... Fun. Yeah. <laughs> early UFC, man. It was yeah. like Wild Wild West. So, like, yeah. for months, we were drilling where it was, like... He was setting up low tens, and then like there, he would do this thing where he like fake like he was gonna do a low ten, and then almost kind of did like a, a donkey kick back from the inside of the knee outwards, so oh, like, drive okay. the knee backwards, uh, blow out his ACL or whatever. Okay. And so they were gonna take out his ACL, but um, chemo gets ends up getting knee barred. He taps out. Matt was very disappointed. It was like chemo showed zero heart because it was something chemo could have got out of. Mm-hmm. He could have powered through and just using a little bit of pain, but. Mm-hmm. He quit, took his payday, and then Matt didn't train him anymore after that. Yeah, and even if I remember correctly, here's the thing about like some people don't know about Matt. Matt Matt's very truthful. Yes. And you know, there's a way to tell the truth, and then there's a way to tell the truth. <laughs> well, Matt only knows one way to tell the truth, and it's directly at you, right? So, yeah. like, you know, I mean, if I remember after that fight, uh, I wasn't there, but I remember watching. I was still watching the UFC at the time, and he was just like basically like chemo sucked. Like he was just like he sucked. He didn't do anything we were supposed to do. And he's lazy is like basically what Matt said. Yeah. Essentially, I mean, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's like, yeah, it's because Matt's yeah, Matt's very direct. So I, I have a lot of like in my mind, I can see a lot of memories of, of chemo sucking wind and training, like you know, blown up, and people going, "Go chemo, go!" You know, like always having to yell at him and motivate him. But he had his problem. He carried so much muscle mass around. He was so Unnecessarily deep. too. If yeah. he would have, if he would have cut, you know, 20, 30 pounds, that guy probably would have been a bad motherfucker back in the day. Um, he still did, had won a few fights in MMA, but he wasn't anything. His biggest claim to fame was that UFC three, where he almost took out Hoist because he was the first one to make Hoist look human. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I feel like, especially you know, back in like that late nineties. They had all these, like you said, juice heads, yes. just like in there. I mean, what it wasn't regulated. I know, right? Who <laughs> don't say? Who would have thought? Yeah. But it's like, um, did you ever train? I mean, speaking to juice heads, did you ever train or see a Bob Sapp train? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so um, in the two, Bob Sapp did steroids. Whoa, 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 <laughs> whoa. Whoa. whoa! What? Allegedly. <laughs> While we're, yeah, yeah. yeah. Why do you say alleged? Because I was about to like libel myself, because <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm about to slander another human. So back when, uh, so so Bob did train with us, obviously in the 2000s, and Bob had a little bit of an entourage that would go with him wherever he trained, which consisted yeah. of um, usually Maurice Smith would travel with him. Okay, and then this other guy, I forget his name. I want to say it's Sean, but I could be just making that up. But Sean was the steroid dealer. And he would travel with them and train with them. Okay. And, of course, Sean, being the roid dealer, 
was juiced to the gills. Like he was probably high on his own supply. He was about a, a six foot white guy, but like I mean, he looked like a. He was probably two hundred eighty. Is this the same guy that was also the biggest like kind of drug runner in Washington State at the time? <laughs> yes. Like he, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt would tell me. Matt tells me the story about this guy. Yeah. Now allegedly, this guy who had the al- fake log. Yes. yes. This oh. is the guy that he made a remote control fake log to put drugs in it and, and so you can get past the border. up to Canada. Yeah, Matt tells me the stories. I, I wasn't around for this. I, this is right before I was in, so this, I, yeah, I would get these. This is a little right before you started. Yeah, this. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, this, so this guy, like, he would he would travel um, everywhere with Bob Sapp and was okay. Bob Sapp's steroid dealer. And um, no, he was his friend, and I'm making quotation marks. <laughs> oh, oh, right, <laughs> friend. <laughs> Basically, he was his bag man that carried his drugs wherever they traveled. Have you ever heard the voices. song The Wizard by Black Sabbath? No, it's about an Aussie's drug dealer, right? So, you know, whenever Bob would travel to Japan yeah. or go to movies in LA or Vancouver, you know, let's call him Sean, was allegedly his drug man that would carry all the steroids and whatever stuff. His Bob mule? Was. He was his mule? He was his mule. Like, you know, he was well, the guy, because Bob can't be getting busted yeah. with roids on him at the yeah. airport. Like, yeah. he's a big celebrity in Japan at the time. Like, that's a big payday to miss out. So. <laughs> so so Bob so his juice head Sean, his juice head dealer Sean, like he would train with us a lot, like and I sparred with this guy a lot and it was fun because he sucked. And so I would just like tee off on him like but he sucked, but at the time I was probably about two hundred and fifteen pounds, but he was two hundred and eight pounds of like roid muscle. Yeah. And he was of course, since he was a roid head, had to always constantly train with his shirt off. So like I always I always just remember like Kicking him in the gut and like he wouldn't drop, but he'd be like, Ugh. and like kick him in the gut, and, like, Ugh. and like punch him in the head, Ugh. and like he was always making these weird grunt noises every time he said. So it was always like kind of fun. So it was like a video yeah. game where like <laughs> you'd like line him up with combos. You'd like I, I want to make him grunt like, <laughs> like, 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 like a drum machine, like like Mike Tyson's punch out back in the day. Yeah, <laughs> and, and then, uh, you could tell he trained with Bob because they had that same like gasping for air look in the middle of the round, like. <gasps> <laughs> oh, no. Like, like, oh no, that's because his muscle he's literally dying of oxygen. Right, right, yeah. like he's that literally time. hypoxic at the time because his <laughs> yeah. muscles are starved of oxygen and his brain's hogging all the oxygen so he can continue to function. Uh, um, but yeah, yeah, so Bob would train back in those days. He would come into our he would come do some classes with us, like he'd be in, in basic boxing and Bob Sapp is a sweetheart of a man. He is such a nice guy. He is like, a nice guy. He is a really, really nice guy. But when you look at him you're like, That man is terrifying because mm-hmm. Just his arm was bigger than my thigh at the time, like bigger than the circumference of my whole entire upper leg. Like yeah. at the biggest point, that was his arm, and then his thighs were twice as big as his arms. And so he was easily the biggest human I had ever been around. Um, yeah, because he was training. six six three six, 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 six three thirty three thirty. Yeah, three, yeah. yeah, yeah I remember because like I mean, even when I was when I he was there training when I was training at times too, and I yeah. remember just being like. That next to maybe seeing the Big Show in the from the WWE, yes, he's the biggest man I've ever seen in my life, like yeah. hands down. Yeah, he, he he's a, a giant of a person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, 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 <laughs> in just fucking. There's so many Bob Sapp stories. Zero yeah. cardiovascular uh, endurance. Very nice man. Yeah, but you know, being around him training a little bit, it was it was clear to me why he never excelled as a fighter, and it was because he was too sweet of a man. In addition to being. Um, so gigantic, like he didn't have cardio. Mm-hmm. He didn't have the killer instinct. Like he it was, was all show for him when he was a killer. Yeah, it was all show for no, him. No, he, he it was a pro wrestling gimmick. It yeah. wasn't. He, he didn't want to go hurt guys. Mm-hmm. He was just like, I want to be your friend and go yeah. get my paycheck. Like we would yeah. spar with him. Like he would be really nice. Like I sparred with him a few times. He was really gentle with me. I'm like, this guy is really gentle for such a monster. I, I mean, I'll put it. I'm six foot one, and at the time when he was training, I weighed 165 pounds, and I sparred with Bob. 
and he never hurt me. And we're talking yeah. there's a probably at least a close to two, if not more, two hundred pound, you know, dif- difference. You know what I mean? And he was always just super sweet to me. Almost like was like almost let me just kind of beat on him because he didn't want to hurt me. Yeah, you know what I mean. It was almost like he was afraid of hurting somebody. Yeah, yeah. And 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 sadly, like you would see that later in his fighting career, where mm-hmm. he really he didn't want to hurt anybody, and at, it got to the point where he didn't want to get hurt either. So like, yeah. it was pretty much like if you've even seen like his last ten fights, if you yeah. get on YouTube, it's bell rings, guy hits him with a glancing shot, he turtles up, covers his head until the ref stops the fight, yeah. and then he go gets his paycheck and, and he goes home. Yeah. Um, but but however, beat Ernesto Hoos not once. But twice, twice. which is unbelievable that, to me. That right? is no. I, I mean, I was he can go up out uh, and be yeah. have the worst career ever, but he can still be like beat Ernesto Hoos twice. Twice. You know, you know what I mean? Now, in fairness, he's about hundred pounds bigger than Ernesto Hoos. Yeah, but, but still, I mean, like Ernesto Hoos is a legend. And yeah, one of the best kickboxers of all time. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, and but but what happened was is before. After he beats Hoost, Crow Cop breaks his eye socket. Yeah, that was the, that was when he turned a corner. And that's the turning point where all of a sudden it's like, oh shit, I could get really hurt doing yeah. this. Like these guys are really tough. Like I might. Oh be yeah, I remember and I, I think also that he was yeah. so far into doing so many weird. Like I remember him telling me a story about like, yeah, there's this drug that North Korea is creating that shuts off the, uh, you know, like the sensors to your brain to let you know you're tired, so you no longer have to do cardio. <laughs> and I was like, hmm. And I, you know, and I was pretty young at the time. I was, I, was, yeah. I was pretty young at AMC at the time, and still and pretty young in life at the time. But even I was, and you know, I was pretty crazy when I was in my early twenties. But I remember yeah. hearing that and being like, "I don't think that that's healthy. Yeah. Like, I don't think that's good for you." Like, you know. But I mean, he was he was a mega celebrity in Japan, so yeah. he he it was a million dollar incentive for him to figure out whatever PEDs he could take to make mm-hmm. him a better fighter. Yeah, I mean, you should just have try to get Brad on the show sometime and just have him tell <laughs> the Bob Sapp stories oh, or yeah. like. Like the story about like Bob Sapp just shadow boxing in the same spot, oh, about, not about moving. The, yeah, about right. The bag, and Matt's yeah, old dog yeah. Baron was just like pacing up and down <laughs> the whole gym, and nobody could figure out why why Baron's pacing, right? And then and Matt and Bob was just in the same spot, the shadow boxing, and he left this puddle. And as soon as he steps off the mat, Baron walks onto the mat and like pees in that spot <laughs> because Baron couldn't handle the fucking amount of chemicals that were coming out of Bob, like all the yeah. like the hormones and shit coming out of Bob, like the dog. Couldn't handle it, so he had to pee on that spot because it was just like he couldn't handle it. Like, and that's how much Bob had running through him. And like, you know, like, yeah, I mean, it was just and some of the stories like I've heard about Bob are like, you know, there's a myth I'm sure to some of them, but there's at least partial, if not all, truth to them. You know yeah. what I mean? And, yeah. Like, and they're like bizarre. Which, which makes how now that I'm, now that we're talking about this, like thinking about like how sweet of a man he was, and he's on all this gear, all this juice. Yeah. He's that sweet, like. Anybody on all that much gear usually is like you're like hey and you're like you like say hi to a juice head they're like what the fuck did you say and you're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you like snap at every little like little right. thing because they're on so much gear like they're just sweating all the time but he was just still like hey guys how you doing yeah he'd be like it's funny because he'd be like because I remember him doing like promos in the ring for some event coming up in Japan he'd be like hey guys so good thanks for letting me do this man you guys are so great blah 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 and then it was like some gimmick where he had like a phone call right so he had like in the ring he had like a phone on and they'd be like oh blob sap hang on was that a good take? I don't know if that was a good take, guys. I'm really. I think. Do we need to do it again? You know what I mean? And you're like, what the fuck? Like, and this is a giant human being, and he has a Rose Bowl ring, doesn't he? Like, he played yeah, line, like yeah, outside he, linebacker he for the for, Huskies, right? For you, like in '92, yeah, they were the Huskies, sure. and yeah. he, uh, he was at least on the practice squad for the Lions. I think he spent a season with them before. Yeah, that. but I mean, like, he would just be like, here he goes. It's like total like of mice and men thing. Like he would yeah. just, you know, I think Ernesto Hoos was just like. 
you know, like, oh, the rabbits, you know what I mean? Like, so, so he had all those distractions of, you know, being a celebrity in Japan where, like, he didn't focus on training, but the root was still, he was just such a nice guy. Like, I yeah. can never picture Bob Sapp punching his friend for losing a street fighter like me. Like, right. I had that fire in my belly, like, fuck you, I'm going to hurt you. Like, yeah. Bob didn't have that. Like, me had a kid show in Japan. He had a children's show in Japan. Oh. He had a children's show in Japan? Yeah, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, he had a children's show in Japan. <laughs> what? He did all kinds of crazy. Yeah. I've seen some clips of some of his game shows. Like one where, yeah. Now keep in mind too, in Japan, like yeah. he marketed and promoted him in a very, very racist way. Like yeah. to to the Japanese audience, he was a gorilla from the zoo that V let out of the cage to come fight. Like literally, their promo, some of the promo videos on TV, there would be like, "Here's a video of a big gorilla." Now cut to the clip of Bob Sapp in the same pose. Yeah, they're like, like he, it was legit, like. Yeah. yeah, completely racist and like, yeah, you know what I mean. And like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. we're gonna market this man. As, but I'm also gonna pay you five million dollars. You know what I mean? Well, right. Yeah. Like, you know, call me whatever you want if you're gonna give me a half a million to come up and yeah. fight for thirty seconds. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he he was an interesting character. <laughs> He's definitely larger <laughs> than life. He made a ton of money in Japan. Like all my pro wrestling friends, like the, like all the all the guys like that grew up around here, like in Canada and around here, like and mm-hmm. watch Pride and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and know about Matt. They they're very in depth with Matt, but all they want to know about is Bob Sapp. <laughs> they <laughs> want every Bob Sapp story, like. And there's a, there's a famous indie wrestler from Vancouver named Cat Power, and she found out that I trained with Bob, and she was just like, "Tell me Bob stories, tell me Bob stories." <laughs> and I was joking around, I was like, "I bet you I could get Bob Sapp to wrestle with you for like two hundred bucks." Because I'll just get Matt to bully him into it, right? And Matt's like, and I asked Matt, and Matt's like, yeah, we could probably do that. You know I mean? <laughs> so, like. And before he, before Bob did K1 and got an MMA, like, he was signed to WCW and was going to be in their training yeah. center. And WWF, like, was pushing hard to sign him, too. And, and he was, a, he was a, he had, in New Japan, too, right? He had started training in the WCW before they went out of business. It was so, a power plant? Yeah, and then he went and did martial arts instead. So. But he also wrestled in New Japan, didn't he? I think he wrestled for the IWG yeah, title. Yeah, that was after he yeah. had already been competing, though. Yeah. Like, so he, that was back in New he Japan. He should have just stuck with that, dude. I mean... Yeah, yeah. But, he, I mean, he's perfect for pro wrestling. Yeah. He's got the look. <laughs> Fucking Bob Sapp, dude. But yeah, that's <laughs> wow. A, that's a character. But we, yeah. Bob, you know, he's a legend that's been through there. We've trained with lots of guys. Maurice Smith. We've mm-hmm. seen... Um, uh, guys that you wouldn't even probably remember now, guys like Aaron Riley. He was in the. Oh, Aaron Riley. Aaron Riley yes. lived under the ring at one point, I yes. guess. Yeah, he lived under the ring. Yeah, we have, uh, uh, let's see, Jens Pulver's been through. Yeah. Uh, Sakurai. Sakurai's oh, been through. Oh, Sakurai. Yeah. Um, oh, gosh, why am I, uh, why am I forgetting his name? Mr. Pride. Akira. Akira Shoji. Akira Shoji. Oh, he was a guy yeah. where uh, yeah. Todd Bjornathan came back probably 10, 12 years ago and was sparring with, uh, with him before a fight. And man, Todd was still good. He lit him up, beat his ass. Like Shoji. And Shoji was no joke. Yeah. Shoji was not. Shoji's bad. a tough guy. Yeah. He was another guy who was a sweetheart of a man. Was yeah, yes, he. Yeah. That guy was a really nice guy. But he had enough fire in his belly that he was willing to go kick some ass. Mm-hmm. And he had no quitting him. That, that's one thing. Bob Sapp had zero heart. Like once once the going got tough, he's like, I tap. I'm like let's forget it. Shoji though had no quitting him. He was willing to fight anybody anytime. Because you know Toyo, right? Yeah. You know Toyo has like no quitting him. Oh, yeah. Toyo's a gentleman uh, that is, how old is Toyo? He's 57? 50, yeah, something and like that. And he's still, in, and he has like a, a he's got, he's high belt in Kyokushin and a black belt in Asian, which Asian is like Kyokushin, but where you can grab the gi and throw knees and stuff. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. And Toyo's like my hero. He's like 57 years old. And I, him and Shoji remind me a lot of each other because there's literally no quit in Toyo. Right, and he's 57 years old, and he comes into sparring games. He gate, spars every and week. And he spars it yeah. out with us, like not yeah. just kind of like, oh, let's play around. Like he still fucking spars it out. Like, and that if you awesome. if you yeah. sleep on him, 
He'll, he'll, he'll fuck you up. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. Like, oh, yeah. Sure. And so it's like, Shoji was all, like, they're very similar, you know what I mean? Yeah. That old school kind of like dojo mentality, you know what I mean? It's, it's kind of that Bushido spirit that a lot of yeah. uh, martial artists from Japan have when they come over training. It really is infused in the AMC's philosophy it for is. The, the people that are serious about training there. So that's that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Shoji. Runs a ramen shop now. He really? runs a ramen shop? Yeah, he runs a ramen really? shop. Good, like, in yeah. Tokyo or something? Or? Yeah, I think right outside of Tokyo. It's like a half hour north of it. Yeah, I almost know it was ramen. Yeah, no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah me too. <laughs> he went the Rocky Balboa way of just yeah. running a restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm a simple uh, gardener. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I guess, Nick, what, what, was, so what was the transition of like, you know, when you first started, I mean, MMA wasn't even MMA. It was really... NHB. No, yeah. 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 So what, what, what's that been like, seeing where it was when you started? <laughs> <laughs> just seeing... Yeah, to, to where it is. Question. I know, it is, it is a loaded question. Uh, to yeah. go from renting yeah. that UFC 2 VHS to now... It was on ESPN. Like, to now, oh, oh, yeah. yeah, ESPN last weekend. Last weekend, yeah. Mr. Judo, Starch TJ. Yeah. Um, yeah, wow. It's uh, It's been a trip. It makes me feel... Really, really old. Like, I feel like one of those crusty old guys is like, well, I remember when, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. and it's true. I remember, yeah. like, how much it sucked being a, an MMA fan back in the day because mm-hmm. it wasn't on TV. It was, you got, if you were lucky, you got one pay-per-view, like, every four or five months. Yeah. Like, two, three a year, maybe. And then there was this dark period, like, maybe a year and a half after I started watching up until the late 90s where it just wasn't even on pay-per-view at all because oh yeah, um, oh, yeah because of that politicians got yeah, a band politicians, like, uh, John yes. McCain was instrumental yeah. in get a, getting yeah. a band and um, it was because boxing saw as a threat what happened was they had um, a pay-per-view where it was Shamrock versus Gracie number two mm-hmm. and it popped like a 400,000 buy rate which is really big for pay-per-view especially in the 90s yeah. and they had no promotion from like a TV show or anything like that so they sold all these pay-per-views and the, the boxing industry was like hold up, they're going to take a piece of our pie, mm-hmm. fuck that. So they get on their phone with their best friend, John McCain, yeah. who they gave lots of money to, and then McCain helped get the sport essentially banned by a bunch of athletic commissions and yeah. states. I mean, that's why it took so long to get into New York. I mean, it was only, what, last five years it's been in New York? Yeah. I want to say it got in 2016. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Two, and that was like, boxing promoters yeah. keeping I mean, it out. It, yeah. it pushed MMA completely underground. It set back the sport in our country for many, many years after that. And, and their stories, too, were... Um, Matt Hume went to go compete for a world extreme cage fighting back in the day. And like the week of the fight, you know, it's supposed to be in New York or something, something like that. And yeah. they're like, Oh, sorry. Commission says it's illegal. We're not letting you fight here. <sighs> and they move it or things like this is illegal. And now we're arresting all the fighters. And like they literally have wow. the, the fighters Canada were, as well. The, the yeah. fighters got thrown in jail the week of the fight. And like, you're literally in a jail cell two days before you have to compete. And that's, that's insane. Like they're getting yeah. it cleared and getting fighters out of jail, you know, 24 hours before they're supposed to compete, and then they're fighting the next day in a no holds barred fight. Yeah, Matt told me one time when he fought. I think I, I want to say it was Super Brawl or was it Super Brawl? Super Brawl like in Hawaii? No, no, no. Then it wasn't Super because Super Brawl was WBC is the one you're. Yeah, yeah, so it was in it was in Montreal, I want to say Montreal, Canada, and like yeah. it was in an arena, right? And they all fought, and then the the Canadian mounted police were waiting for everybody to get done. To, oh, to arrest them because it was wow. illegal. So, like, yeah. the promoters handed guys paychecks in an envelope and they all went out the back door. <laughs> like, kind of a thing, right? And they all snuck away and Matt yeah. tried to get across the... And it was all cash. Yeah. So they tried to get across the border as fast as possible without getting caught and getting arrested. Yeah. Damn. Like, and that was, like... 
So you, that, that was the bad side of that era, and like that was the part that really, as a fan, especially as like a teenager growing up and wanting to consume as much content as I possibly could, and mm-hmm. there's no YouTube back then. Now you can just watch anything you want, whenever you want. Yeah. So I would I would have to get people. <laughs> I would have to get Haru to have his friends from Japan send me tapes, or like there's this one kid that came over from Japan, and trained with us a month that I became friends with, mm-hmm. and I got him to send me tapes of Pancras and stuff from Japanese television. Yeah. And like that was the only way I could watch fights. Um, so like that was the bad of it, but the thing that I really miss about that era is we had more of a community during that era. So mm-hmm. if you saw someone wearing a tap out shirt in the late nineties or early two thousands, like that was a brother you knew you would get along with. Like you would see him from across street, you'd be like, Hey, Hey you, you train? And he'd be like, yeah, I train. He'd be like, cool brother. Where are you training at? Like mm-hmm. he was part of the fraternity. Now you see a guy in a tap out shirt you're like, I'm going to just walk on the other side of the street and not talk to him because I don't want to have any part of that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so watching it evolve from that, uh, from the no holds barred to when um, to when they started getting round system in. So I think it was the the one, the one the, the league that Matt and Todd both fought in was either extreme cage fighting or world extreme cage fighting or something like yeah. that. It was, it was yeah, like yeah. Battle cage. Battle yeah, battle cage. That's, that's it. Yeah, that's, yeah, they had the cage that was a circle. Yeah, it was a circle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like yeah. a, ye- a yellow or green, right? They, they yeah. were the first ones to start so, yeah, doing some right. of the innovative things that we now have today. So they started doing um, round systems. Rounds, they yeah. had the gloves. Um, they started instituting more rules and stuff that are common sense. Some of the things that we're used to now. Um, so that was really cool and they went on pay-per-view and it was fun back in the day watching Matt Hume fight live on pay-per-view mm-hmm. um, so it was fun seeing like some of that evolution um, and then also seeing the evolution of everybody's training so in the in the mid 90s up through the early 2000s it was really barbaric the training it was yeah the mindset was we're gladiators we're tough guys um, you need to push yourself harder than you did before it was also before concussion awareness and things like that. Like people knew getting ahead was probably a bad thing, and Muhammad Ali wasn't doing so hot. But ah, whatever. If we're gonna be badass fighters, we gotta keep the. It, shit was, out still, of it was still the get over it, be a man and get over it, it kind of. Very it was more like a tough yeah, man yeah, kind yeah. of. Thing. I mean, that was even in yeah. even in the mid two thousands. And, and sports yeah. medicines evolved so much too. Yeah. So like training in the nineties, you know, there's stuff I did as a kid training that I look back, I'm like, that is stupid. So. <laughs> I remember training when I'm like 16 years old. I, I pulled a groin on my left side, and then I pulled the groin muscle on my right side. So double groin pull. Oh, Logically, yeah. you would think, you probably should probably take a month off, let that thing heal mm-hmm. before you start training again. I'm, I'm in there like the next day training, throwing high kicks yeah. with a double groin pull. And of course, ever since then, I've had soft tissue issues where I, it's really easy to re-injure since then. So things like that aren't so good where it was like really barbaric and we beat the crap out of each other and I probably have a lot more miles on my body and brain now than I should. <laughs> um, but it also made me a tough son of a bitch who was a really sissy only child where he was getting laughed at by his next door neighbor to, <laughs> you know, yeah. being pretty hardcore dude. And then in the, the 2000s, you saw a leap forward in the, the technical side. So I was really lucky to train with Matt and them back in the day because they were way ahead of the curve technique-wise. Mm-hmm. Like they knew stuff that other people, it took them 10, 15 years to catch up with. The 2000s, you saw people start to catch up with it. And then you also started to see a lot more really good athletes get in the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'd see a guy like, uh, like for example, Tito Ortiz, who's a really good athlete, a really good wrestler. And, you know, someone, ta- you know, Tank Abbott takes him aside, teaches him a little bit of boxing. And then all of a sudden, Tito's dominating people in the UFC. Mm-hmm. So you start to see more athletes come in the sport in the early 2000s. You start to see the training evolve in the early 2000s. And then um, it just kind of like grows leaps and bounds from there. And then by about, I'd say around 2008 or so, it's like things seem to be, it's almost like the technology industry where like, 
things advance so fast. Yeah. Where it's almost like every year things double up from like 2008 till now to where things are kind of stagnant technique-wise up through the 2000s. Then they start steadily improving through like the 2008 and then about 10 years into that decade, all of a sudden it's like light speed. And now people are making evolutions faster and faster and faster. Yeah, you're it's, seeing, it's weird. Yeah. You're seeing crazy transitions and, and techniques and, and angles of attack that you would never even have thought oh, of 15 years ago. For sure. Um, yeah. And you're seeing a lot more intelligence infused in the sport now where you have really intelligent sports medicine training uh, mirrored with smart technique where guys aren't sparring full power the week before the fight. Like, you know, you're not, you're not beating the crap out of each other every day. Or like, if you are going to spar hard, maybe it's once a week instead of every day. Like before it was like, we're going to go to war every yeah. day. And you know, if you survive until your fight, then you're tough enough to fight. And if you're not, you're just not tough enough and go find something else to do with your time. So it's been, it's been crazy to watch. And like looking back in hindsight, it's, it's pretty wild to have been a part of it. Um, but now it's just crazy things advance so fast now mm-hmm. that, you know, in 10 more years, I'm, it's going to be wild to see what, what, what happens. I mean, yeah, look, I mean, you're getting like top level professional athletes now interested yeah, like in this. Yeah, like actual high level yeah, athletes. You know, instead yeah. of guys that are like, I punched somebody at a bar once, you know what I mean? Like, because that's what it was. <laughs> that's, when, that's when, when I punched somebody at a yeah, bar once yeah. to like, yeah. no, I'm an NFL player who would prefer to do this, right? Yeah, or has no other way, <laughs> yeah, or you know, you know, got banned because he beat up too many girls or whatever, right? Yeah. yeah. So, I, I think my like, if I'm predicting the future here, I think you're going to see in ten years, all the fighters who are competing are going to be as good as Demetrius Johnson, as good as John Jones. And the people that are at the top of the sport in 10 years are going to be something that we have no concept of. Like, it's (laughs) going to be ridiculous. It's going to be someone who is a good enough athlete to dominate any pro sport that they train for. And they're just creating on a level that we can't even comprehend now. So on a more esoteric level, like as a martial artist, (laughs) anybody who's trained in martial arts should always start with the fundamentals, right? They should (laughs) should learn the fundamentals and master those before they start trying to do spinning elbows and backflipping kicks or whatever or the, the, the crazy transitions and submissions. Mm-hmm. Most people want to skip ahead to the spinning elbows, but those people in the future, like the, the, the high-end, high-tech maneuvers, maneuvers of today are going to be the fundamentals of them. Like They're just going to pick it up so fast. They're going to absorb it so fast. They're going to be, I mean, like, be starting. I mean, like, even you see that now, they're starting as kids. Like yeah. Children. Like, oh, like, yeah, like, like children, kids children. Like, yeah. like, I'm five. And I'm right. armbarring other people. You know what I mean? We're like, totally. When I was five, there was nothing like. We had no frame of reference like that. No, back then. Yeah. no. And now a yeah. five year old, like you know, I'm gonna, my son's gonna be born in a few months. My son is gonna learn martial arts. He has no choice. But he's <laughs> he's gonna grow up in a, an environment yeah. where he could go on YouTube or whatever and watch martial arts from mm-hmm. all these eras, all these yeah. fights, anytime he wants. Yeah. And, and start absorbing it from a really young age. Like I started absorbing it at age fourteen, which in my mind's young, but now. We're gonna have people like Floyd Mayweather who are, are training out of the womb, like yeah. you know Matt Hume's kids who have known arm bars since they were infants. Oh you know? boy, yeah, yeah. So it's it's gonna be. I think it's gonna be really exciting for the sport in ten years and and going into the future. But it's gonna be wild watching that. That do you now? Do you have? See, I I have this fear that the future of this sport is gonna be a little bit boring well, because what makes be, you say that? Yeah, yeah. because. And I already see it kind of moving towards that way, and that's because, uh, and I, I, I want to hear your opinion on this mm-hmm. too, Nick, because um, the way I see it is like people now, it, 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 they've turned it more into a sport than a fight, right? Yeah. And so there's a lot of like bending of the rules, and, and I think the rule sets need to change in order for that to not happen, but there's a lot of like mm-hmm. fighting to not lose and not fighting to win. So yes. a lot of like, I'm going to push you up against the cage, and I'm going to grind you there, and I don't really care if I finish you or not yeah. because I need the paycheck, mm-hmm. and I get awarded more if I win. You know what I yes. mean? 
So my worry is, and, 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 and since I've been doing this for almost like 15 years now and been watching it since its conception, it's like yeah. I've seen that part of it grow more and more, which yeah. has made me kind of lose some interest in it. Mm -hmm. Yes. But then you see like the Matt's evolution of like, well, you know, if that's what somebody's are, somebody's going to do and if that's how the trend of the sport's going, mm -hmm. what we need to do is f how to beat that mm -hmm. so we still finish people. But I'm afraid mm -hmm. that there's not other places that are doing that, mm -hmm. that they're just going, this is what you can do to squeak out a win so we yeah. can get our paycheck, right? And two super high-level athletes mm -hmm. that, that, that clash, right, and they're nervous of one small mistake, then that's where that's, the sport's going. And that's my concern. And, yeah. and what do you think about that? Well, I, I agree. There's a lot of, and, and it's kind of that quote-unquote Greg Jackson effect that started, you know, like <laughs> 10 years ago where Jackson was coaching his team to win on points, to right. not lose. And so you would get these really boring fights where someone controls position but isn't going for a finish. Um I, I think that there is a danger in that where if things stay the same... But even Greg Jackson had guys finishing people, though, right? You know what I mean? So, yeah, but there's a while where they were like, okay, true. let's Good watch point. the grass grow yeah. because Greg Jackson guys are fighting. True. But then Good point. The, real, the only reason that ever changed is because he lucked into having John Jones train under him. Like, yeah. If he doesn't have John Jones, who's a freak that no matter which gym he walked into, he was going to become world champion. Yeah. Yeah. And I wish he would have walked in AMC because can you imagine like if Matthew <laughs> programmed him versus someone else? But yeah. but John Jones is an asshole, so I don't care. <laughs> yeah. um, I think he had that opportunity and was and it, it, it was requested for him not to come. Oh, well, you know that's I, yeah. from there's I, been I, a lot I, of fighters that have, yeah. Uh, I mean, I've heard. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know one hundred percent that that's truthful, but that's just yeah. what I've heard through the grapevine. Rumor has it. No, we're not accusing. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's a lot of pro fighters, won't name names, that yeah. have requested to come train with Matt over the last twenty years. Oh, yeah. and Matt's like, no, he's a lazy motherfucker. I'll never train him. So. No, and I've seen this like them literally walk in the door week after week, being like, "What do you mean? What do you mean?" And he's yeah. like, "Yeah, bye." You know, yeah. what I mean? basic boxing stuff. Bye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, <laughs> yeah. But so, anyway, so so yeah, there's gonna be like there's that stalemate issue, and some of that's not just the people that are playing to not lose. Some of it's because now you do have guys that are good athletes that are getting into the sport because someone's like, "You're a good athlete, mm -hmm. like we can teach you to do this," mm -hmm. but they're not a fighter. Like, right. There's a difference between someone who's a fighter who has the heart and the grit of a fighter and someone who's just an athlete that's playing a sport. Mm -hmm. So now you got guys that are really really good athletes and physically talented that are playing a sport and they're competing with guys that are also good athletes that are fighters. And so the guys that are having these stalemate fights are usually guys that are not fighters. So they're just trying to hold a guy down, trying to win the position battle, trying to avoid taking damage. Um, don't really have any interest in winning the fight. Like from a finish perspective, mm -hmm. they're just trying to survive and advance through the rankings that way. But I think what you're going to see from that is because MMA is a, an always evolving sport um, one thing you're going to see, even with no rule changes, is you're going to see actually talented fighters uh, or a, a talented athlete who also have the heart of a fighter, they're going to continue to adapt to those stalemate tactics, yeah. and they're going to counter those. So you already see that with, like, if you see Demetrius Johnson fight, and he fights someone who's a, a stalemate fighter like that, they can't stalemate him. Because if you put, if you put DJ on his back, he's not just going to lay there. He's going to keep moving. He's going to keep attacking. He's always He's always moving. You, you compare that to the evolution. If you look in the mid-90s, you put someone on their back, they lay there like a dead fish. Right. And they don't have any movement. Where it's like, DJ never lands, stays flat on his back. It's almost like a trampoline where like, as soon as he hits, boom, twisting, moving, bouncing around. Right, and, you, and, Matt, and you, we all know that this, that's something that is very key to Matt. Yeah. yeah. Is like, if you get taken down, you don't just lay on your back because mm -hmm. it'd get fucked, I think, as he said one time. You're know constantly I mean? moving. Yeah. And, and there's also those little split seconds in every transition of position 
where there's a small window that right. you can mm-hmm. create an opening for a bigger window, escape, do a submission, whatever it is. Like there's always that little small window. And for the people that are on the highest level, like DJ, who have the muscle memory and the athleticism and the heart, they can feel those windows without thinking about it. So it's like instinctively they bounce through it, roll through it. And you're seeing, you're seeing that evolution. And even guys like uh, Sejudo, Sejudo, you're seeing a guy like TJ Dillashaw, he doesn't have any business in the ring, I think, with a guy who's an Olympic champion like, like, um, like Cejudo because Cejudo feels it so good. He's on the same level as DJ as far as feeling those areas right. of opportunity. And so he, he is able to feel those giant windows that were created by DJ or by TJ, excuse me, by TJ last weekend. And that, that's how he was able to starch him and embarrass him so fast because mm-hmm. his speed was so much better and he could feel those windows. His timing was excellent compared to TJ. Yeah, because yeah. he yeah. he's got elite athleticism. Yeah. He, he's not thinking about it. It's programmed. He's like a machine. Mm-hmm. And he can feel that when it happens, before it even happens. The highest level athletes, it's almost like they're psychic. They can feel it before it even happens. Yeah. It's like an energy that's coming off of their opponent. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading a, an article, a sports science article years ago, it was Barry Bonds was talking about hitting a baseball, and no matter how many steroids you take, it's not going to help you hit a baseball. <laughs> hit a baseball. Yeah. And so he was talking about they were talking about how he recognizes what the pitch is that's coming towards him before it's even out of the pitcher's hand. So like the ball's at the top of the pitcher's delivery before it's even released the hand. Barry Bonds in his mind would know what that pitch is, and before the ball's even released, he knows where that ball's going to going to be. Because then once the ball's released, it's a 90-mile-an-hour-plus ball. You don't have time to think about what that right. pitch is or where it's going to be. But he would know where it's going to be, what the kind of pitch is, and what kind of swing he would need to do. And then that's how he was able to make such great contact with the baseball. It's the same exact thing with mixed martial arts where the highest level people can feel it. Like mm-hmm. They can feel it in every aspect of the game. The striking, the clinch work, um, the wrestling. The, the jiu-jitsu uh, transitions and submissions, every aspect of the game, they have that feel about them. They're not thinking about anything. So back to your original point, I think more and more of those fighters who are good athletes but not fighters in their heart, they're going to get weeded out of the sport. Yeah. I think it's just where we're at. That's, that's, it's, it's attrition. So I kind of agree with you, right? But I do think there needs to be major rule changes. Yes. yes. I, I have huge problems yes. with the UFC's rule set because it's structured in such a way right now where – if you're the UFC champion, I think you're a good fighter, but I can't say that you're the best fighter in the world because you're not competing in an event that determines the best fighter in the world. You're determining the best athlete within this contest that we call the UFC. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there's certain areas of the game that are not true to the martial arts. Like if I'm clinched with you and I'm kneeing you in the face and you put your palms on the ground, Correct. I'm still going to knee you in the face. But in the UFC, they say, well, he's down, so you're not allowed to knee him. Right. Or if I have you on your back on the ground and I'm kneeing you in the head, they're going, that's illegal. Don't do that. Right. And that's nonsense. Or if you're laying on the ground and you're inviting me to come grapple with you and I'd rather soccer kick you in the head, they're saying that's not allowed either. So it, it creates a – and also the, the fighting surface itself, the, the cage surface. I don't, I don't like the cage because it's um, – the rule and the, and the fighting structure favors someone who's a wrestler. And you do need to have wrestling skills, but just being a wrestler doesn't make you a good fighter. So you can use the cage to use your wrestling to stalemate and make it so people can't transition. Um, you can use the, the downed opponent rule to your favor so that you aren't getting devastating attacks to you that can knock you out. So it skews the entire sport in favor of the wrestler and the grappler versus the person who's a high-level striker. And I think if you're going to be a complete martial artist, you need to be good in every aspect of the game. The, the cliche of protect yourself at all times... 
I want to see that in the sport so that if, if we're transitioning from the ground up and, and I'm on my hands and knees and you can kick me in the face, you should be allowed to do it. And if Agreed. I don't protect myself, I'm getting knocked out. Because you should know from here, someone could kick me in the face getting up, and you can block that. Yeah, time. yeah. I think a lot of that rule change was to to take it away from what what the what society deemed as like a barbaric barbaric right. event into an into a barbaric sport, right? Right. right. Mm. But I, I and I think yeah. we're in in the last few years been in a transition of it where it is kind of boring because you're right. There there's there's guys that are good athletes, but they're not fighters. And I would love to see us go back to like. Like the pride yellow cards, like yes, like I would love For to see like, like if you want to you yes. want you want to dick around. Mm-hmm. Well, you're not going to get paid as much. Well, I think it also brings back I think a, a big problem, not even like with any rule changes, is also how fights are judged. Yeah, I think oh yeah, it's awful. Like, what, what, it's what, a, what the, I mean, what like the that, criteria I mean, is? Because yeah, I feel like the criteria for yeah, damage needs to be. I mean, way more. We're, you're talking yeah. to three guys that yeah. learned learned under yeah. a guy who made the yeah. judging criteria for yeah. pride, right? Yeah, and the judging criteria for the state of Washington that they don't. I mean, and it's. Um, so we're for us it's like that's an easy thing to say like yeah that makes sense for the rest of the world they're so trained that that's the way it is It's I think it's hard for them to conceptualize it a different way you know what I mean right well it's like you know it's like the, the 10 point must system just makes zero sense for mixed martial arts correct yeah and it's, it's, it's really there's weird too thing. many layers to mixed martial arts for a 10 point system to, to matter and, and it creates it, 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 it also encourages people to do that sort of point fighting when you're trying to win a decision because with a 10-point must, you could... And also just the bias, using the bias of the judges to their advantage. So uh, a UFC judge predominantly thinks a leg kick does no damage. Right. A UFC judge... It's fucking mind-blowing. A UFC judge predominantly thinks a double leg takedown that doesn't result in any sort of um, attempts at a submission or a finish or ground and pound is more devastating than just about any striking attack that doesn't knock somebody out. Right. So like you could you could beat someone up for three minutes and thirty seconds of a five minute round on the feet, like just picking them apart striking. But if they get three takedowns on you where you get right back up, that judge is going, Well you took them down three times. Yeah, there's another part to that. I mean, just because you're on your back also, I mean it it doesn't look good. But if you got somebody who's holding on your back and you're attempting to finish it with, you know, triangles and kimuras and Mm -hmm. things like that. Like that stuff. You're looking for a finish. You're looking for a finish, yeah. even though you're on your yeah. back. That counts as fucking nothing in that ten. Yeah, that, that, that's nil for. Yeah, that literally that's nothing, which it blows my mind. And you see that a lot with uh, really good athlete wrestlers who are really good wrestlers, but they don't have the heart of a fighter or the killer instinct, and they're just like, I, I'm, I'm going to hold this guy here and hopefully wait, wait out the round, win my round. Um, you saw Khabib do that against Conor McGregor. He's like, I'm just going to hold him down. And good game plan against Conor. But. Well, the only difference with that, I would say, is like Khabib was, was trying to pass and he was hitting him, right? So he yeah. was trying to hurt him and finish him. Yeah. Where a lot of like wrestlers just like hold him. But like, like I love the evolution of like some of the new, like Greg, Greg, Gregor Gillespie. Greg? Gregor Gillespie. Gregor Gillespie. That guy, like last Saturday, blew my mind. He's talking about a wrestler who's now taken his wrestling on a higher level. To finish people, you know what I yeah. mean, and he's also starched people with his hands, you know what yeah. I mean. So it's like, that's like I think wrestlers now have a, a, a you know, when a kid gets into junior high wrestling now, he has a a, a longer mindset yeah. about what what he needs to do what with this happen, wrestling yeah. and what could happen, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because yeah. that was abuse. I mean, like yeah. So yeah. so hopefully we see more of that with wrestlers. They're like, oh, I I don't just have to hold a guy there. I can attack with my wrestling. I can damage somebody with my wrestling. I can hurt people with my wrestling. Mm-hmm. I can wear them out to where I can hurt them. And I'm, I'm hoping we see more of that. I hope so too because you see a lot of times where a wrestler gets rocked on their feet 
grabs a takedown and just holds the guy yeah. for the rest of the round without actually trying to finish a fight or advance or do anything. Mm-hmm. Which is frustrating to me because I, I enjoy both the, the grappling and the striking game. But, and unfortunately in the UFC, you see it a lot of you either see a really boring kickboxing fight or you <laughs> see a really boring submission wrestling fight. Right. And mm-hmm. you don't get enough of the exciting contest on the feet or on the ground. Like, And yeah. when you do get to see wonderful, like great, like what's the fight last week in the... Uh, Oh gosh, Yair versus uh, you know what I'm talking about the big the the grappling fight from last weekend. Uh, what oh, which guys were going? Uh, it was on the main card. His name's Yair. Oh, Yair. T- are you t- wait, Yair? Yeah, uh, are you talking about are you talking about Yancy Maderos? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yancy- I'm sorry, yeah, Yancy Maderos. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's the one to fight Gregor. He's the one yeah, to fight Gregor. They, they had a lot of great yeah. like transitions and yeah, holes yeah, and things like good that. Scrambles. Was yeah, but here's yeah, the American yeah. audience, right? Yeah. I watched that and I was like, "Holy shit, this is amazing!" Right? Yeah. And then he, that guy got booed, and oh, it's like yeah. it's yeah. like it, when it's he's like working. you have no yeah. concept of what yeah. that skill level was. Yeah. I mean, there was a point where uh, Yancy like he tried to Gregor had like a body lock on him from the back, right? And so it was you know it was belly to back with Gregor having the body lock. And Yancey is like, you can see he's frustrated, so he just literally dives into a Granby roll. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Gregor just dives into the Granby roll with him, because yeah. he just feels it like you were talking about, yes. and stands back up, and then still has that waist lock on him. And there was no, like, it was, there was no, like, hesitation, or like, there was no, like, jumpiness in it. It was just like, boom, 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 right? And you could see the desperation in, in, in Yancey's eyes after that, right? And that's a high level of grappling. And for people to boo shit like that means they need to do what I've always said. You need to go watch kickboxing. Yeah. <laughs> because you have no concept of what you're watching. Yeah. And all you, you want to see two big guys fucking kick the shit out of each other with striking and little gloves on. for that. <laughs> go watch kickboxing. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. And I don't know why American audiences don't catch on to kickboxing. Because that's what they really want. Yeah. yeah. And well, they should watch uh, Muay Thai and 1FC. Cause... With the little gloves. Yeah. That's yeah. the best thing I've ever seen in my <laughs> yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah. It, it, and, and that's the worry is that also it's like, you know, I mean, like wrestlers win, but there's no rule sets to beat them. But then the audience doesn't want to see wrestlers win. So it's like... But we're, we're evolving out yeah. of that. I mean, you, you have guys like guys like Demetrius Johnson were the counter to my complaint 10 years ago. Because 10 years ago, it was nothing but wrestlers stalemating to point decisions, right. it felt like. Like there was no good fights unless Anderson Silva was starching a guy. And so, you know, then you have a guy like DJ who feels it in every position of the game. Right. So then if you're a stalling wrestler, you can't win. And now you're seeing more and more people that can feel it in multiple aspects. Guys like, you know, John Jones, DJ, um, Connor feels it from the striking, but not on the ground. What's that? The he last feels it on the grappling, but not on the feet. That so. last style bender guy too. Style oh, bender. Yeah. 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 He, he has a real high level feel <laughs> of, of the striking. And I, I think in the future, you're going to see people that, are real artists because right now mm. you have you have some real you have a very few artists in the in the game like true artists like I, I call John Jones an artist DJ an artist yeah there's there's some people that are just beautiful artists when they go out there and fight and it's almost like they're they're creating their own masterpiece every time they go out there and compete they're doing things you never imagined um, you're and you're seeing a guy like Henry Cejudo who I used to criticize because he would just rely on his wrestling and he was really boring to watch but he's evolved his game. Yeah. He's worked his ass off, and now he's starting to be more of an artist when he competes. Yeah, and I think I think like I know this this term is scoffed at in in our sport, in our sport martial artists. That's the difference between a fighter and a martial artist. I think is, is when you can see somebody who can flow naturally with wherever a fight goes and isn't just dead set on the same thing. 
mm-hmm. and they and they're like you said they're making like a, a master a physical a violent masterpiece yeah. that's when you have a martial artist which is, will always I think excel past a fighter because I think yeah. you know what I've always been told a fighter can go get drunk down at the bar and get a fight right? <laughs> you know what I mean and then you can yeah. put him in a cage and he can yeah. fight right yeah. but a martial artist is somebody who trains and hones and skills and, mm-hmm. and has a higher level of understanding of, of like the yeah. martial ability of of a human, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I think they, I hope to see more of that. I, I think that's the direction we're evolving. I think mm-hmm. we're going to have, you know, UFC in one in 10, 15 years, it's going to be a roster full of Musashis. And then the guys <laughs> that are on the top of those respective leagues are going to be like something on a next level that it's like hard to even imagine. Like, right. you know, if everybody's a really good artist, well, these guys that are the champion at that time, they're going to be the Mozart. Yeah, it's going to be like the yeah. Italian yeah. Renaissance, you know yeah. what I mean? It's like there's going to yes. be. Yeah. And, and there was a real shitty period of art before the Italian <laughs> Renaissance, right? Yeah. So, I mean, and I think that's where we're at with the sport is we're in a real shitty... I think it's a... I think, well, like, it comes in waves. It's yeah, yeah. And, and I'm really happy yeah. with, like, what one's doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Where they are, like, kind of making... Like, they are doing mixed cards and they're doing, like... You know what I mean? And they're and, and they're having more of a universal set rules that, that's more realistic to fighting. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's the back mode of philosophy. I mean, Chantry has a deep appreciation for martial arts and martial artists, yeah. whereas Dana White doesn't. Dana White just is out promoting and making right. money. Like, well, it shows in the product. Yes. Yeah, and I also think yeah. it's also the area of the world where the product comes from and the yeah. societies it comes from because yeah. we've talked about this before too. Like, mm-hmm. like martial arts is just... Even though we as white guys made that joke that every Asian guy <laughs> knows how to do karate, yeah. right? Which is totally an ignorant, dumb thing to say. But I yeah. do think that... It's what we thought in the 90s, though. Right. But I do think within Asia, almost all of Asia, like martial arts is so much more embedded into culture and society than, than it is even here. You know well, yeah, I mean? they have you know centuries of history right. behind it versus here we have... you know. We I mean, boxing is the closest thing I think... Like American boxing is the closest thing I can think of to like... To something that's like you know the equivalent of like Let Way or you know you know what I mean or Muay Thai in America you know what I mean. Well, in our and, country, and, we got soft. We got away from martial arts. And, and PE used to PE used to include wrestling, boxing, right. and actually like rifle. I'll like, never forget. School. I've told you the story. <laughs> yeah. Wrestling, and, we only had yeah. two heavyweight guys in wrestling in junior high, and they made us wear singlets. And one guy was on the wrestling team, and one guy was not on the wrestling team. <laughs> and one day, I saw Poo Poo come out of the one of those dudes singlet like toothpaste. <laughs> And guess which one it was? You guys not amazing? Yeah, okay. correct. Oh. <laughs> Gross. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, I think American audience is capable of appreciating martial arts. Like, you know, baseball fans, like hardcore baseball fans, like, they're really, like, don't don't besmirch baseball. Right. Like, Roger Clemens has never allowed in the Hall of Fame. He did steroids. Like, we have this great level of respect for baseball. We could have that same culture with martial arts. Mm-hmm. But if it's not marketed and presented that way, it's never right. going to happen. So yeah, I think I think the audience in Asia wants more of an honorable thing, right? I'm sure they want yeah. bloodlust as well. Yeah, but I don't think their bloodlust is like our bloodlust. Well, and, and here's the thing: no matter what, it's gonna be violent as hell. Correct. Like whether you're respectful yeah. towards the martial artists and the martial arts, what happens once the bell rings is beautiful violence. Right. So the fans are gonna get their bloodlust. They're gonna get their satisfaction from that always. But you know, the, it can be marketed in a better way. Um, yeah, the UFC is a very stinky product. It is. It's a very <laughs> gross, they're, disgusting they're very, product. They're, they're carny. They're mafia. They're yeah. carny. Like they're, you know, they're WWF, but it's mixed martial arts instead. Yeah, it's it is the WWF without acknowledging it's the WWF. 100%. Where at least the WWF or E acknowledges what it is. You know what I mean? Even more so today than it ever used to, right? Yeah, they're not trying to hide from what they are. Right? Yeah. Like, so know, they are MMA. They are what they are. 
I mean, Bellator, they do a good job of like doing the WWF presentation, but they're not trying to lie about what they are. Like, they're like this is what we do. <laughs> I, so, like, we're gonna put yeah. we're gonna put uh, Kimbo in a fight with Dada Five Thousand, yeah. and all of you are gonna watch yeah. it to the. the we're gonna put fifty year old So, I'm, I'm, so I've been making yeah. an analogy, and yeah. I don't know if all the listeners will care for this, but I think I made this when you interviewed me by myself. Yes. But I really yeah. I think I've talked to you about this too. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> MMA is where pro wrestling was in the late 90s, early 2000s, where it's like, the UFC is the WWE that's kind of on a downcline. You've got Bellator, which could, at some point, kind of overthrow them for a little while because they're using a bunch of the old school guys, right? And then you got one in Asia, which is like New Japan, that is like the most legit thing there is, right? Mm-hmm. And you're, I, I think it's, it's almost like a weird thing. It's like Tito Ortiz is like the Kevin Nash of MMA right now, and he's going <laughs> to ruin it all for him. You know what I mean? Like, so it's like... <laughs> Yeah. I, I feel like right now we're in the golden age of MMA just like anybody who's a wrestling fan in the mid to late 90s it was like the golden age of wrestling where you got Monday Night Wars where WCW is popular WWE is popular right but I think we're getting close towards the end of that thing where we're, it's like yeah it's you know it's not like 2006 where UFC blew up and like everybody yeah. wanted to talk to me about UFC like and every time I'd go out to a bar someone would be like Let's fight. You train MMA. Let's fight. And I'm like, how about I buy you a beer instead? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like even so, like my I remember watching with my brother like eight or nine years ago, and my brother was a college football player, and was like, here, let me show you something. My friend in the middle of the bar, and I'm like, dude, we're good. Like, no, like yeah. I'm, we're good. We don't need to do any. Yeah, you want to show me? And I was like, that's great, but I would just punch you in the face if you did that. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, one of those funny. Things, I don't know if it was a real like article or not, but I saw some article today. It was like. It was like one of those new male, like, you know, do these, these are the 10 things men today should not do because it's toxically masculine or something like that. Yeah. And one of them was fighting. I was like, don't think about or train for fighting. And I was like, that is the shit worst advice I've ever heard in my life because everybody I know who has trained MMA or trained martial arts for a number of years and gotten good at it and competed and sparred. They're some of the most nonviolent people. Right. Those are the people that have no desire to go get in a fight out in the street where people can get hurt and killed and things like that. Right. And they're usually the people that are trying to avoid the conflict of fight at all costs. Like, I never sought a fight after learning martial arts as right. a 14-year-old. Like, every street fight I was in after I started training was because I was defending myself. Was, well, and you know me. I'm pretty I'm pretty far left-leaning liberal guy, yeah. right? And But even I think, like, if... Like, to, to take that out of a society is unnatural because if you look at every society in the history of mankind... There is some sort of fighting system. There is some sort of, you know, like human beings are, are built to fight. You it's, know what I mean? it's a natural part of our yes. being that you have to accept. I mean, there's a reason that I've been hot-blooded since birth and wanted to punch right. my friend for playing Street Fighter and had war in my yeah, heart since a, I was a kid. Dude, I was a sensitive nerd growing up, but I was drawn to combat. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. For a reason. You know what same, I mean? same. I, my mom's like, be a good guy. You know, don't be yeah. women. Like, you know, she was very, my parents were like hippie liberal. But I had war right. in my heart because I was just a rowdy person. And uh, granted, we, we've grown as a society and we can take that and we can make it into something that's not barbaric, right? Right. Like, I, I mean, there's always going to be some barbarism in it, right? Because it's yeah. violent. But like, yeah. but we can grow. I mean, it doesn't have to be like, we're not we're not sitting two dudes in a pit and, and, and like Conan, you know what I mean? And be like, fight to the death. You <laughs> well, know what and, I mean? And on a deeper level, like once you know how to fight and you fight, then you truly are a man of peace. Whereas if you don't know how to fight and you're like, oh, I'm a peaceful guy, I don't fight. No, you're just a pussy that really hopes that no one ever beats you up because right. you don't know what the hell is going to happen. Yeah, it's like the samurai in the garden during wartime, right? Exactly. Like, right. If, you know, if I know if I know how to kill people with my bare hands, yet I choose to not use that skill and technique, then I am truly a man of peace. But right. if I'm just going around going, eh, fighting's bad, I'm a peaceful guy. No, you're just a guy that's really hoping no one ever fights you. Yeah. That's what that is. And I, I think man or woman, everybody should study martial arts. And I agree. It should be, 
it should be required in the school system. Like, you should have martial arts training. No, and no one should be forced to compete in martial arts. Yeah, I mean, sparring's one thing, right? Even even on that level, sparring's one thing. But, yeah. like, to, to, to learn how to, like, properly kind of defend yourself or throw a Because I mean, even when I was in junior high, we had self-defense classes. We had the dude that came in in the big suit, <laughs> and you learn how to... Punch him in the crotch eighty times, you know, yeah, while he grabs you from the back. You know what I mean? And like, that was so fun. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, like he had the big, like, remember, like the big suit. Yeah. And like he grabbed you, and you learn how to, you know, like, back kick him in the balls and poke him in the eyes. You know what I mean? And like, oh. even I had that in junior high. That's, that did, so they had women's self defense for everybody at your junior high. <laughs> oh yeah. Stop! That's my purse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know you. The the thing is, I was such a shithead in junior high. If that would have came out by the time I was in junior high, you could have goddamn known. Like every time I punched that guy in the balls, I would have been like, "I don't know you. That's my purse." But unfortunately, that was about ten to twelve years after I was yeah out of junior high. I'm so happy they had Bobby Hill self defense at junior high. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, what I would give to be able to yell in, when I was in eighth grade, I don't know you, that's my purse, while I kicked the dude in the groin. Like, what I would have given in life to have that. Oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> but yeah, they did. I mean, they had it, so. But to, nowadays, I don't even know what they do for, like, what do they do for PE nowadays? Like, Patrol, you're, you're a bit younger than, yeah. than Nick and I, so, like, did they even have any sort of combat sport for you? No. In junior high, I mean, could you wrestle? Did you have wrestling in junior high? I, I, I wrestled in junior high. Yeah. Yeah. But, um... But they didn't but have any... It was all no. badminton? It was, yeah, it's like... Yeah, and I'm from Canada, apparently? Sports. Badminton? Yeah. Badminton? <laughs> badminton? Yeah. You it know was, I mean? uh... Yeah. It, th- there wasn't that option, like, really. In, uh, in junior high, I saw yeah. another dude beat up another dude. <laughs> yeah. Because that... Because then we were playing volleyball, and one kid in made volleyball? up this, this giant... Made fun of this giant Hawaiian dude named Telly Poloka, right? That he <laughs> yeah. sucked at volleyball... And Telly Poloka hit him so hard that his head hit him with his right fist. So that hit him, and then his head bounced off the fucking open Ooh. open side of the the locker that was open, oh, no. bounced off, and then bounced back into the second oh, no. punch. Telly Poloka, oh, and he no. fell flat down on the bench, like face first. Oh. One of those Steve Mazzagatti extra blows. Yes, yeah. like it was like bang, 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 and it was like and Telly punched him so hard his head bounced off the locker, and then was in the mid punching him again and hit him. In the, and I'll never forget. I was like Brutal. watching, and I was like, fuck. I, in my head, I was like. Fuck, I'm glad that's not me. Like, yeah. you know. like want to see a dead body? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, maybe he should have, the guy should have kicked him in the balls and said, that's I don't know you, that's my purse, yeah. right? You know what I mean? Yeah. But I don't know. Like, Because violence is going to happen, right? Yeah. Like, you, yeah. you, you can't, that's true. You can't remove yeah. violence out of society because human beings yeah. are violent violent creatures. Yeah. Our entire economy is based on violence and right. war, so mm-hmm. yeah. But even yeah. Like, down to a, our base level, it's like competition. It's like... Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's violence. And, and t- violence and intelligence are what runs human beings, you know? So yes. It's like... Conquering the physical and the mental, which yeah, really, yeah. I mean, that's MMA. Correct. You, yes. You, that's you, why there's a yeah. difference between a fighter and a martial artist. You, you, yeah. you, you can be a complete moron and physically gifted, but you may not make it to the highest level right. because once you get to that highest level, it's a real chess game. Right. Where, mm-hmm. You know, it's, that's that's the fun part, I think, is watching the chess game. And don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm glad that we have progressed... Oh, in most part as a society where we don't have like warlords in our society that run things because of violence <laughs> so to speak right so to speak. Like, like I'm really glad Scott, <laughs> yeah. like, I know if Scott McDonald was here right now we would be having a whole different but what yeah. I'm saying is like I'm talking about a base level of like anarch like you know like like you know like we Mad Max kind of shit we don't yeah. we don't quite have Mad Max kind of shit you know yeah. because like it's like 
Yeah, like if, if we live in that era, then Matt Hume would be taking everybody's wives and you know yeah. what I mean, and all their property. You know what I mean? We, we live in we've a more agreed for, to right. for civilization at this point. Kind of past feudalism, I think. right? Exactly. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's like not the Wild West. Where I just played like sixty hours of Red Dead Redemption the last few months. <laughs> like that was a different time. Like you could be on the trail and someone would want to jack you, and you're just trying to get home, kind of yeah. thing. So right. I'm, I'm I'm glad that society we've grown past that, but we can't. In my opinion, and you know me, once again, I'm a very like bleeding heart liberal kind of guy, and I'm like, you can't. Not acknowledge that, that that violence is a part of human nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you can't just mask w- that. Look at what happens when you leave humans to a base level. Mm. Yeah. They commit horrible violence. They commit war and violence against each other for what they want. You know, exactly. and so yeah. they're, they're always they always try to establish a hierarchy. Right, and like someone always wants to get over. So you know, whoever's whoever's being bullied now wants to become the bullies. Or like when I learned martial arts and then yeah. I fought back against the bullies in high school. Like yeah, I let the bullies know well, you're on notice now. I didn't really do that till my mid twenties. So, <laughs> but it apparently I'm the bully now. Apparently people I'm I'm the I'm the asshole now. <laughs> let me tell you, bullying the bullies in high school was a lot of fun I bet because you, you didn't have to worry about getting thrown in jail oh or, no I mean I stood up I mean like don't get me wrong I got stood up for, I stood up for myself but I would just get my ass kicked you know what I mean like, so, like, <laughs> I would say my mind it just wouldn't go well yeah I mean I would be like well if you're gonna do it at least we're gonna do it you know what I mean and I didn't win so well, that's what I learned most people didn't really yeah. want to fight they just wanted to talk shit yeah. so yeah. In, in high school it was always like okay well let's do this and then they'd be like oh well you throw first I'm like no I'm not gonna do that yeah. but you can throw me right there I'll give you a free one <laughs> and they would never do it they would just threaten Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know that's true. Well, but then I think you know if you put it back to if everyone did know martial arts on that even scale, then they actually know. Like, then oh, you hey. have Asia. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm, yeah, joking. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm just of joking. Course. But yeah, but yeah, I mean, not, not even that though. Yeah. I mean, because then you, you, I don't, I don't, I don't think you'll ever because human to me, human beings are too complex. There, there yes. are going to be people who who, who just, just don't want yeah. violence, right? And they're not yeah. going to commit to any sort of violence, but yeah. they're skilled in other ways, right? And that's yeah. what makes that's what makes human human beings so intricate. It's like mm-hmm. there's so much individuality uniqueness between us as people that you have like guys that you have guys like me who are a giant sensitive nerd, but for some reason I had that Bushido spirit, so I was grown to being a warrior. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even though like maybe from nature at the beginning I, I, I wouldn't seem like it, but I grew into that, right? Yeah. And and then you have guys that, that seem like that, they're giant warriors, but like, you know, like there's wrestlers that come in that really good wrestlers, but you hit them in the face once and they're like, I don't want any part of this ever again in my life, right? Yeah. And you have guys that are just more intelligent that have no desire for any of that. But I think what happens when you say you're going to remove violence from society then you're removing something that you don't like because you're individually maybe not good at it, right? Yeah, true. Uh, and you're yeah. and you're and then you're trying to pull something out of society that is very human. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah so and, yeah, it's been intertwined in being right. A human. And we can do yeah. we can go better than like let's decapitate them for what I want. You know what I mean? We're past <laughs> hopefully past that. You know what I mean? In most countries. Yeah. 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 yeah most countries. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and I'm speaking more within our society of yeah. like. You know, more like you know, like modern like society, Western society especially, and, and even a lot of Eastern society. You know, like the more kind of cultivated civilizations. You know, mm-hmm. that we're 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 in theory past that. I mean, I, I yes, we can have this long moral and, and debate about like mm-hmm. whether or not that's true, but on the upfront, like it's like that, right? Like I'm not worried about my neighbor coming over and decapitating me because he wants my cat. You know what I mean? I hope not. Yeah. Well, you got fight on his hands. I too. mean, this podcast right. might get really ironic. Yeah, <laughs> but but do you, do you get what I'm saying? Where it's yes. like I'm not in a lot of fear of every day my neighbor coming over no. and, and yeah. physically harming me to take what he wants from me mm-hmm. or they want from me. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. And, and can't say don't be so loud when you come in. 
We're trying to do a podcast, yeah. Casey. Jeez, Casey, be quiet. Jesus Christ, you're loud. I, I do think you mentioned something about how you know you're you're you know, this nerdy, sensitive guy, blah blah, but you have this fire in your heart, kind of thing. And right. Well, you called me the Wolf Man when we first started training together for a reason, right? But the, the, on that point, I, I really do think that fighters are born, not bred. Like I agree. I think that it's in your DNA, it's in your heart from yeah. the moment you're born yeah. and you may not realize it till you're 10 or 15 or 20 or whenever you realize that I got this thing I got to express, but it's definitely something you're born with. So, um, that's why I think you see some people that just, it looks like they shy away from contact or right. they're yeah. just, they're, they're not born that way. Right. Like, they don't have that desire. Like mm-hmm. I always had that desire to be rowdy and to like wrestle. And yeah. Like, like be rough, you know, perfect examples. Like I have, I have a buddy Dave and he has a kid. Uh, his name's Tiger. His name's legitimately Tiger. And D- Dave <laughs> is like a, a very like nice musician yeah. who, you know what I mean, like has never wrestled or done anything violent a day in his life. And his wife is kind of this, you know, or is now is, is, is you know, separated from his wife. But they, she doesn't condone any violence whatsoever. And they don't, they've never exposed their child to it. Now he's been exposed to like Street Fighter 2. And he wants to wrestle with everyone. <laughs> and he's just so drawn to it. And there's, he's never. It's it's nothing that his parents have pushed him to or yeah. anything like that. And if anything, the polar opposite. But Tiger is so drawn. He always wants to wrestle. He wants to watch Street Fighter Two cartoons, and he wants and he's drawn to like combat. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that that's somebody. And he's also a very sensitive kid, right? Yeah. So, but that doesn't mean that he's not. So he might be have that like warrior DNA kind of thing. It's yeah, in, it's in his heart. I mean, yeah. the same story with me. I, I was definitely not raised to be yeah. violent or me a neither. fighter. Complete opposite, um, and definitely encouraged not to. Like my mom couldn't even come watch me fight; she would just go wait. Yeah, and same with my mom. Yeah, and then be like, "Just let me know if you're not dead," kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, and my dad was violent, but it was like not like uh, a good violent. You know what I mean? It wasn't like let's get you into wrestling or boxing. It was like, oh, you just suck at everything, so you're never gonna be able to do that, right? And right. And, and, and I wish I would have had like kind of a better like. Like, I, I look back now, knowing what I know now, if I would have wrestled in junior high, and I wouldn't have cared if I was the worst wrestler on the team, because I just have some fundamentals that, like, I missed oh, yeah. later in life, now that I love this sport, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, it's like, I was never exposed to violence, even though I love pro wrestling growing up. Like, I love yeah. pro wrestling. And we talked about that when I was on the podcast. Yeah. It's like I was drawn to it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was a, And I think you're the same way, and I think you're the same way. For sure. No, but I think that's the thing, like, guys that... I mean, it's you don't necessarily need to be raised in it, but once you find it, you get a sense I mean, like, oh, yeah. this Ken, is, Ken's like a perfect yeah. example. Like, yeah. Kensai's like the nicest guy ever known in the world, right? Like, yeah. but he'll punch you right in the fucking mouth when you're yeah. sparring, right? It's like, and he just it's, it's, it has nothing to do with being like a violent, angry human being. It's, it's just it's part yeah. of your being. I yeah. Think, yeah. I mean, I can tell you, you guys are still active. I haven't even put on gloves in almost. Oh, seven but you're years. gonna. I hope so. I, yeah. I haven't put on even gloves in almost seven years. I haven't even trained for almost seven years. There's not a single day in the last seven years where I haven't thought about fighting in my head. I haven't like imagined mm-hmm. combos in my head. I haven't thought, man, I really wish I could spar today in my head. Or like, at least it's a, a few, weird obsession. That a, a few times a week at uh, I'll turn 38 next month, but a few times a week I'm like, I could still fight. I could go compete. Like I still have that crazy thought. Dude, I get it. I'm turning <laughs> yeah. 40 in June, yeah. and I'm like, maybe I'll do a midlife crisis fight. And I'm like, and then like the reality comes back. And I'm like, you're fucking crazy, dude. Like, totally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and some of it's ego. Like sometimes I'll yeah, see. Sometimes I'll see a UFC fighters who like aren't very good strikers. I'm like, I could fuck that guy up. <laughs> like, what is he doing? Like, sign yeah. me up. Give me a hundred thousand dollars. I'll kick his ass tomorrow. But right. you know, it's like it just never leaves you. Like it never goes away, and there's no replacement for it. You can search and search. You can try to replace it, but there's nothing that you can do that'll ever replace it. It yeah. just is something. And and, is. and I think till the day we die, all of us will be like I think now that now that you you've had 
so people don't know maybe you should tell them like about your back and how that's kind of like you've done some kind of like more like I wouldn't say experimental but more modern things to help with like you know his back so you maybe be able to train again you know not necessarily compete but get in there and train again you know what I mean all right yeah what Greg's talking about is I injured my back really really bad 10 years ago and I've been living with a, a degenerative disc between L5 and S1 that was impinging on two, two different nerve roots so I had a bunch of atrophy on my left leg constant pain and nerve issues down the left side um, and for years tried to avoid surgery with rehab and physical therapy um, and whatever techniques I could think of to, to not have to get back surgery. And then I kept re-injuring the back over and over despite what I would do. And so then last year in March, I re-injured it again. Finally got MRIs and everything and it showed how bad the injury was and met with a neurosurgeon. Um, and he recommended a procedure called uh, artificial disc replacement. And that's basically where, and, and I did get the procedure last November. And they go in to your, uh, they go into your front and then go in to your vertebrae and take out the disc, the bad disc and all the scar tissue and bone spurs and stuff. And then they raise the, the vertebrae up to the correct level it's supposed to be at. Cause prior to that, when it was crushed, my disc basically looked like a crushed chili pepper. So there was like no cushion yeah. between the disc. Yeah. So I had no shock absorption. I couldn't twist. The I couldn't nerves do, are just impinged. I couldn't do anything that would place a load on my spine. So like lifting weights like squats or anything like that is just a no-go. I couldn't play golf or do anything twisting like martial arts. Um, so anyways, they raise the vertebrae back up to the normal size. Then they implant an artificial um, disc device inside of it. And it's a fully articulating artificial disc. So now that I'm healed, I have full mobility and can move around again. And if it all goes well, I'm meeting with my surgeon next Tuesday and should get cleared for, for everything. So I could at least practice martial arts again, kick a heavy bag, do some light sparring, things like that. So. Oh, I, I tell you what, Nick, I, I can't wait for that first 30 seconds when you spar when someone throws hard on you. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like some kids, like oh the new guy's in, yeah. and I'm gonna I'm gonna stiff him, and then I'm gonna be like, ooh, I'm gonna like, I'm, I'm gonna sit back and get some a bag of popcorn and enjoy that that show. I'll, I'll definitely be the ringer for the whole new generation. No <laughs> In fact, I might facilitate. I might tell guys and be like, that guy kind of sucks, dude. You should really beat on him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. Really like, and then I'm just gonna be like, no, no, uh, I don't need to go this round. Yeah, because I'm gonna watch this. <laughs> but it's like you, you can, yeah. you know, from being at AMC for so long, you can really sense when someone has what it takes, has has that fighter spirit inside of them. Like, yeah, you can sense it and pick it up on people because you guys have been around enough at AMC where like. 95% of people that come in the gym quit within a month or so. Like right. They yes. show up to the basic classes, yeah. maybe they do it for a little while, they peer off, or they get punched in the nose, decide they don't like it, they never come back. But you can tell pretty quick with something. So I've been around long enough to where I've known Greg when he was a rookie. Mm-hmm. And so I knew early on that Greg had the fire in his belly and had what it takes. It, it was it, keep it, showing up. Just so people... Nick and I have kicked the shit out of each other on numerous <laughs> occasions. Like, not like good sparring. Like, we have literally tried to tear each other's heads off. Yeah, it's the tip... It, it's your classic cliche of, yeah. okay, let's just do some flow sparring. Let's not go too hard. Right. And sure, we start out the first little bit that way. But then, you know, I catch Greg with something that he didn't like. So then Greg, like, hulks up and then starts beating on me. And then we're beating... And then it, <laughs> Evolves into like yeah, okay. you get two really competitive guys that like, and it, Nick was always better and bigger than me too. So it was like, like, and I would just wolf man up and try to tear his head off, which you know, usually didn't work out well. For me. <laughs> but you know, it was like, but that's what also made me like it. It, it sharpened my knife a lot more. It, you know it I mean? made you a, a better fighter, no doubt. Correct, one hundred percent, it did. Yeah. And then um, for Pachola, you started like right when I was basically done because my back was fucked. But at the time, I was. Um, 
I was helping coach my boss's son or my boss at the time, his son, who wanted to learn martial arts. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, I'll show up and like teach you stuff. Like I'm not really healthy enough to like do it full time. But I remember, I would always remember because he would, you know, I would come to you and train him after class and you would always kind of like stick around and just kind of see like what I was showing him and like yeah. kind of piggyback on it. And like you kept showing up and kept showing up and I was like, here's a guy that wants to learn it. Like this guy, he, he's got the fire in his belly. Like. You can, I, I just knew that you had that martial arts spirit, maybe even before you realized you necessarily had what it took. Like, I was like, here's a guy that's going to keep showing up and he's going to do it. Now, my boss's son, I was like, I don't think he has what it takes because I don't think he has enough grit. No. But, like, I could tell that Good you, kid. Yeah, good, great nice kid. Guy, good great guy. Great kid. But he's going to have the grit. But, like, the people that have that little something in them, it's like, you can just, like, almost see a little, like, yeah. twinkle in their eye, like... Yeah. They got a screw loose or something, like, you know, they're fucked up in yeah. some way. Like, yeah. not that they're Jeez, bad. kids, I don't sneak up on me like that. <laughs> Jesus Christ, you can't sneak up on me like that, man. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Anyway. Well, like, you yeah. can just tell. Like, you, yeah. you, like, you've been around long enough where, like, you yeah. know well, when someone's got what it takes. I know. So, one of my first experiences with Cholo, I don't know if I've told you this, uh. is Cholo came in knew nothing. Yeah. Like, literally nothing. Yeah. And I'm grappling Patrolo. I take his back. And so... Right. Lots of things have changed since that point, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, just, because I'm not trying to brag about this, because Patrolo can wrap me up in a little package and send me home when we grapple, right? Right. But I took his back, I flattened him out, and I short choked him. Mm-hmm. Which is, if you don't know what a short choke is, especially when someone's flattened out, it's a wind choke. It's a windpipe choke. It's fucking painful. It's not fun. Especially when Matt Hume teaches it to you, <laughs> yes. right? Like, it's, one, it's the first thing I ever meddled in a grappling tournament with, right? And I'm fucking cranking on this wind choke, like this short choke on him. And he's just like, nah, man, I ain't going to tap. And then I remember Frank, who was a, you know, uh, the, the grappling coach at the time, who was a really high-level grappler, was like, well, you're probably just not doing it right. Yeah. And then he does it to Patrolo, and Patrolo's like, nah, man, that shit ain't going to happen. I can still breathe, yeah, yeah, and so both, I remember Frank and I having a conversation. We're both like, well, that kid's got it. Yeah. So let's, let's keep him around, right? You know what I mean? Because he's tough as shit. Like, all the rest of the stuff we can teach him, right? It's you just know a lot. Some people you just know almost yeah. instantly. Like he's, this guy's got the grit. He's got what it takes. My favorite was when when up. you finally got a surly attitude as well. <laughs> <laughs> like I remember because I remember getting yeah. you like talking yeah. to you like yeah. about like he patrols always very kind of meek and very nice and, and now he's, he's he's much different and much more confident, much more kind of an asshole to be honest with you. Like kind well, of I, I used to just not talk to people. Yeah, and, yeah. and but even but you would do smokers and you'd be so timid, right? Yeah, and I remember I was like helping him with a, a smoker one day and I was like listen I know there's a fucking pit bull in there right and I know that there's a, a dude in there that's waiting to like hurt someone and I know that you know how to do it and I really need you to do that and then he got himself all worked up and this is, we, we, he was fighting in a cage right yeah. and we had to go around this tight little Reese Andy's cage he had to go around this tight little corner yeah. right he couldn't find into the cage and so he's like pissed and he starts fucking throwing chairs. And he throws chairs into the audience like hitting people with these chairs. And then I'm like, like and, I, and, and I go, patrol the cage this way. He comes back, trips over a chair, fucking throws that one, and then gets in the cage and walks over the opposite end of the cage. And I was like, oh, I think, okay, well, I didn't know if you wanted to hit the audience members with shit, but at least we got you there, you know what I mean? And, then, and I think that's the first time you went in and like yeah. kind of hammered on someone. I yeah. think you broke the glass on Stone Cold Pachello there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, that was it. Yeah. Flip the switch. But now he's just like, I don't care about you or anyone else. Well, martial arts will make you competitive. I mean, <laughs> yeah. not just competitive, but confident if you stick yeah. with it. Because like, yeah. I was very unconfident before I started martial arts. I didn't have great self-esteem, but 
it didn't take long for that to change yeah. pretty fast. And I also think it's like when you're uh, when you start becoming like a senior member at the gym or a coach at the gym or yeah. like somebody who who holds a kind of a higher level there and you see so many people come and go you survive the attrition yeah, yeah. and it's this yeah. kind of balance of like I, I don't really want to get to know you and I don't really want to reach out to you because I don't right. know if you're going to be here in a month totally right and yeah. I don't want to spend a lot of time with you because time mm-hmm. is very valuable mm-hmm. because I don't know if you're even going to listen to what I have to say right yes yeah. and so I think all of us are like that so that kind of comes off as a pretentious yeah. kind of asshole thing and it kind of is but at the same time it's there for a reason yeah mm-hmm. which it's funny because it reminds me of when you first started training and I was like I don't even know if this guy's going to stick with it but you're you're like a very extroverted person so it was almost me? like it was almost like oh. the, I, well, I, yeah, I'm, hmm. you're an extrovert just shut up for a second okay <laughs> so you were like brand new but so you were almost like the two year old like tugging on my sleeve like yeah yeah guess what else guess what else we're going to talk about fights we're going to talk yeah. about this I think if anybody at AMC now listens to this po- this podcast yeah. is is going to not believe that. Oh, I can I can see that now because you've you've evolved. Everybody evolved. Yeah. You were like so eager and hungry back then, but yeah. you were like, yo yo, that shirt's cool because I used to like wear this shirt. It was like a, a punk band, but it was like NWO wrestling style. And I remember yeah. you talking about, oh yeah yeah, that's cool man. That's like NWO. I like wrestling too. I like punk. Look at my shirt, blah blah blah. Yeah. And you're like, hey, what about kickboxing? Let's borrow this training. I'm like, yeah. this newbie won't shut up. But then it was like you kept showing up and sparring. I'm like, okay, I like. But you, you have to see outside AMC. I wasn't saying anything. I didn't talk to anyone. I didn't even want people touching me. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. So like, I finally, and so you're like, but I, AMC at the time, I wouldn't talk to anybody. Right. Like, no, and I got it. But I was like persistent. Talking. I guess because I finally felt like I fit in somewhere. Yeah. Which is like I never thought I'd fit in anywhere. And like, yeah. I was like, I fit in here. Like you know, what I mean? and like I want to make friends. Yeah. You know, and like so I gotta tell a funny story about Greg that you know, <laughs> oh, no. that I tell the story. But I love telling the story because don't. Like, it's it's a great. I think I don't even great, know which one this is. and I don't want to hear to it. To me, it's a great learning story for all yeah. fighters and aspiring martial arts yeah. artists and fighters out there. So in 2008, Greg and I went and competed in a tournament in Canada. Uh-huh. And this, was, <laughs> yes. and this was the uh, the first time that Greg had ever competed at all. So this was a, a kickboxing. No, no, this is the first time I competed in striking. Okay. I'd, I'd done grappling turns. So you done grappling turns. So first time he'd ever done a kickboxing match in his life. And I wasn't quite the kickboxer I am today. No, no, not at all. <laughs> and so, so first of all, before the fight, I'm warming him up in the back with uh, just regular focus mitts. You know, getting him loose, getting him warm. <laughs> And he's so, so nervous. He's full of anxiety. He's freaking the fuck out. Like, he's real jumpy hitting the pads. And, like, I'm like, calm down. Just hit the pads. And at one point, he was so jumpy with it, he, he bobs down and then comes back up with his head and hits me underneath my chin. And I didn't have a mouth guard on. And Nick's competing this day as well. And keep in mind, I'm competing in the same tournament later. But I'm just warming up because he was competing first. Um, so he, he hits me under the chin or head. I get the white flash, you know, just like you do when you get the flash KO kind of yeah. thing. And, and instantly I'm like, oh my fucking God, you hit me so fucking hard. Like, hold on. I'm like, I'm feeling in my mouth. I'm like, I feel blood in my mouth. And I'm like, I think you broke my tooth. And I go in the bathroom and look in the mirror. And sure enough, like you can see right here, this tooth right there. Oh, yeah. He broke the tooth. Like he broke the tooth in half. Because <laughs> I was a spaz. And I'm in throbbing pain. Yeah. And, uh, and Greg's like, Greg, if for, well... People at AMC may not know. Greg's a very sweet man, but he was—he felt—he felt so bad. He's like, "Oh my god, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry." Like, I'm, I'm like, "Dude, it's cool, man. It was an accident." Like, I'm, and in my head, I'm like, "Fuck! I hope I can still compete later." And then, and so anyway, so he broke my tooth, made my mouth bloody, and then he still got to go fight. And I'm cornering him for his fight. So we're we're in the queue before his fight, and it's like this this giant set of mats, and there's a bunch of fights going on simultaneously. It's a gigantic tournament of 
kickboxing and jujitsu, and they have you know novice and black belt divisions and different weight classes and different experience levels. And so Greg's like getting ready to like his fight's coming up and we're on the edge of the mats. And Greg's standing next to me and he's doing this. He's going, I'm gonna lose. 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 Yeah, no fucking no no fucking joke, man. I'm not gonna win. I suck. I suck. I'm a suck. I suck. I'm gonna lose. And I was like. Greg, and I'm like literally like hitting him upside his head. And I was like, shut the fuck up. Don't say that to yourself. You need to stop that right now. You need to tell yourself you are going to win. You are going to win. You say that instead. And Greg's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose. And I was like, Greg, you're better than these guys. Stop it. I know you're better. And then, and he, but he's like, no, no, no. I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose. And so Greg, Greg doesn't stop. I'm like, oh, God, you know, what's going to happen? So he gets on the mat and the bell rings. Fight. And, you know, they start kind of dancing around each other. And Greg's just kind of like standing there, like, just standing there, like kind of rocking back and forth. And mm -hmm. I'm like, Greg, circle, do something. And then, like, the guy he's fighting is a little bit timid, so he's, like, hitting him. Greg's not hitting him back. He kicks him. Greg's not kicking him back. Tries a two-punch combo. Greg doesn't hit him back. Greg's kind of blocking it a little bit. So, like, he's still, like, trying to defend it. And, like, the guy's not hurting him. The guy's just kind of, like probing Greg to see if Greg's actually going to fight him. So literally, like, almost the entire first round, Greg's just standing there, and we're, like, yelling at him. We're like, Greg, throw a combo. We're like, throw a one-two, do anything, anything, throw something. And then finally, like, towards the end, like, the last 45 seconds of the round, like, the guy catches him with, like, a decent shot, and then finally it, like, wakes Greg up. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to fight. And then all of a sudden, like, Greg, like, lights him up for the last 30 seconds of the round. Kicked him in the fucking face. Like, just starched him the rest of the round, but it wasn't enough to, like, win the, the decision because it was all, like, a one and done. Like, you do one yeah. sudden death round, and then you move on in the tournament. Oh, wow. So it was like, if round. you don't win your yeah. first round, yeah. you're out. And okay. so... Greg spends most of the first round just standing there looking at the guy and staring him down. Well, <laughs> me and Johnny Cage, Mr. Frank Culture, were yelling at him. And so, to me, it's uh, I always I always go back to this, even though Greg probably hates when I tell a story because uh, I mean it's it's a part of my journey. It's part of my martial arts journey. You know? Yeah, it's no different than when I got jabbed until my neck hurt for a week afterwards in my first fight. But it's it's a mindset thing where if you go into any sort of situation, you tell yourself you're going to lose. You tell yourself you suck. More than likely, you're going to be right. So always, if you're getting ready for a fight or a competition, use positive affirmations. Tell yourself, I'm going to win. I'm going to win. Even if you think you're down, I might get my ass kicked. Just tell yourself that. Tell the lie over and over. Visualize in your head you're going to win because otherwise you might create a situation where you tell yourself you suck so much that you stand there frozen and, look, and stare at a guy that you should beat up. And so Greg stared at a guy that he was way better than even back then when he was a novice. He should have won that fight. Probably should have won his tournament division. Right. But because he psyched himself out and made himself so freaked out before the fight, he was paralyzed for the first, you know, over half of the first round. So, um, But there's something good that came out of that. Yeah, what's that? So that was in October. And then I had my first kind of three-round kickboxing match in that December. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is how I progressed mentally. I was like, well, I don't want to fucking do that again. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, I didn't. You know what I mean? Like a negative thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was still like, oh, I might get my ass kicked. But yeah. I was like, well, at least I'm not going to go do freeze. like that again. And I didn't I didn't freeze and yeah. a lot in my, you know, my first, like, where I cut weight. And, like, and I fought a guy, you know what I mean? So it was something that was good that came out of it. But, like, I mean, my first grappling, like, match, I basically passed out and put the guy in guard and passed out and, like, the guy cornered me was like, what the fuck is wrong with him? And I was just like... You I don't have to breathe kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I did. I went onto the loser's bracket and ran through that because I didn't care anymore. Mm -hmm. 
Now you did your first kickboxing match after that. You you looked awesome. You were smooth. that's okay. I mean, it was like for for that level. <laughs> yeah, 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 you did awesome. I watched. Uh, it. I was there. You were you were yeah. in the moment, so it's hard to judge yourself. Right, but yeah, I mean, you know, we all have our own struggles. That's true. <laughs> but no, but it's funny though how people that like as as you guys were saying, like you kind of know who's gonna stick with it. You kind of figure yeah. out because you understanding yourself, saying like, oh, these are other people who want to become martial artists, and right? Like, and yeah, now that I'm in a position, like as a as an instructor, as a coach, there I see like I see that all the time. Right. Seeing, well, mostly the influx of people that come yeah. through, but you know the few people that that stay. Like, oh, this guy like actually wants to be a martial artist. Yeah, you, you'll want to spend some more time yeah. with them. Like for yeah. me, like coaching, like I, yeah. if, especially in a class setting, if mm-hmm. if I see somebody's trying, I don't really care about their level. Yeah, as long as they try. and as long as they're coming yeah. in and they're trying. Yeah, like I'll help them. Yeah, uh, but they, you know, you start to understand like. And even within the people that are, that are going to stick around for a long time, you also kind of learn that, like, well, yeah, this guy's going to stick around, but he's not going to listen to a word I have to say, where this person yeah. will listen to me, and we might just have a better, like, kind of relationship, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And you, you know, because time's, time's precious, and so, yes, like, yeah. you, you want to spend the time with the people that, you you know, like, individually that you think are going to do well, you know what I mean? And one of the sad, tragic things which you guys will see more of and have seen more of now is you'll see some of these guys come through that they have that spark in them. You know they have that fighting spirit Mm -hmm. and they have the athletic ability and they can do really good, but either they don't stick with it and they quit too soon or they're lazy in their training and don't fulfill their potential. And I, you know, I'm not going to name names, but both amateurs and pros, we, we all know that. Yeah. What I've learned is the third one is that that they also think that they know everything already and they're almost uncoachable. Yes. Like, oh, yeah. That's 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 such a shame. Yeah. Some people yeah. are so stubborn. They think, well, God, I'm a I'm badass in the gym. I beat everybody up. What is that guy gonna tell right. me? Right. Mm-hmm. You know. But you know that guy. Someone might be a more talented fighter than me, but I've been around the game so long. I might see something that you don't realize you're doing. Right. And mm-hmm. so I tell you to correct that. And even if you think you can kick my ass, maybe you should correct that because it saves right. you from getting knocked out or something. Like I mean, that. there's plenty yeah. of guys that can beat me up on the ground that can't beat me up standing up, right? right? But they still come with the approach of like, hey, maybe I should learn something from him, right? Yeah. And then I also have guys that are like, well, I'm a better, I'm a better fighter than him, so why do I have to learn anything from him, right? Yeah. And and it, and it's it, and I've had guys like I've spent individual time with them, like you need to do this, this, and this. And then they don't do it. And I see them doing, you know, yeah. touch button the park things because they see yeah. it on, like, you know. They stick an Instagram video. Yeah. And, and I'm like, why are you doing that? Yeah. And they're like, well, you know, this is what, you know, so and so does with so and so. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not what you need to do, right? Yeah. And, you know, and they'd be like, well, are we getting together again? I'm like, no, man, we're not. I'm like, you I don't know? I don't have time, you know? And that may be why, um, why Matt, Matt Hume sometimes. Well, always, almost always, when a new pro fighter comes in, they get their Matt Hume humbling session where they have to yeah. spar and grapple. All them. three of us have seen that. Yes. And he, it's almost like the military mindset of, I'm going to break you down to zero and then rebuild you. Mm-hmm. And also find out, do you really, are you mentally strong? Are you going to quit after I whip mm-hmm. your ass today? Yeah. And so, you know, we've, we've seen professional fighters come in, get humbled and cry. Some like, literally, I've seen him make guys you know by name yeah. physically cry. Like high-level black belts yes. crying, and you know high-level professional fighters crying, and some decide, you know, this isn't for me. I want to go back to being the big fish in the small pond. Yeah. I don't want to learn from scratch with Matt and get better. Um, and then know. back in the day, it was like before, like Carlos and DJ and a lot of those guys went professional. Like you'd have these pros come in that you know by name, and they'd be getting waxed by like by amateurs. Yeah, and like I don't oh, know forget. Yeah. Like I mean, it just happened to me like a few weeks ago. Like this guy who's like a with Bibby, yeah. I didn't realize this guy, and he's really good. Don't get me wrong; I'm not, I'm not knocking him at all. Yeah, and he's like, he's like, like a pretty, 
like I guess known kickboxer and I didn't yeah. know and I'm like out of shape and yeah. like 10 years older than him and kind of like you know like getting the best of him and making him run for his money and he's like yeah how many fights you got I'm like yeah you know a couple amateur a couple smoker you <laughs> yeah. know and he's like and I'm like yeah I'm almost 40 and I could just see it in his face he's like what the fuck he's like demoralized yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and it was like but at the same time, he's like, I want to keep coming back here. So that's how I know that that guy is like, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? And that just goes back. That's a testament to, to Matt Hume and the AMC system to where, you know, his system is so good. The technique is so strong right. and solid that professional fighters can come in and not know what they're walking into and have a gym full of amateurs that can fuck them up you yeah. know, at any given time. And I don't think that's a very common thing. No. no like Because no. even you, like you've, like, you've had guys come in that are pro and you just fucking wipe the floor with them. Yeah, and they're like, "Whoa, well, well, how many fights do you have?" And you're like, "I don't know. I'm like three and two. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. like an amateur." And they're like, "What?" Like, yeah. and some of it goes back to unscrupulous coaches and match matchmakers. We were having a conversation before we started recording how Matt's very particular about making sure it's fair matchups for right. the amateur circuits, but yeah. he's also very particular about bringing his fighters up the right way. Like, he's not going to let you go from no experience to fighting pro at the casino next week. Right. Like, you're going to have to go up through the amateurs until you satisfy him that you're strong enough, good enough. Right. Then he'll get you pro fights with someone competitive. And he's not going to do that unless you finish people and people that are good on that on that amateur level. You but know? Not all coaches like that. So you get pro no. fighters that come from... Well, it's because they need money. Matt doesn't need money. Right. So, yeah. so some guy might come from Southern California where he's the man in that gym and like their coach is telling him he's the man all the time and they're putting him up against scrubs and he's winning at the casino and then he comes in and, you know, a 20-year-old uh, yeah. amateur that has one fight is beating his ass in the gym. Yeah, we. Yeah. I mean, we've seen that yeah. numerous times. And I'm not going to say that that was Bibby's guy at all. It was no. just... Kind of a like I, I don't I guess I don't have a big perspective on this and then every time it happens when I see like other, like other guys do it in the gym you know what I mean I'm like oh yeah that's we're at this place that's you know been around for a long time but still probably the best place in the world you know what I mean mm-hmm. so it's like yeah it just is always a reminder to me like how good are are the people there are you mm-hmm. know what I mean even being yeah. a, even being like. All three of us are higher guys on the kind of totem pole there, but there's still somebody that's always better at something there. Yeah. It, 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 because being a real martial artist and training MC makes you a humble person. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it has to. And um, it, it just makes you a better person, I think, overall, where it, it checks your ego. Yep. The other thing I love about uh, martial arts gyms and AMC in particular is it really, like, you know, nowadays the, the hot marketing word is, the buzzword is diversity, right? right? Yeah. But in our gym, we have true diversity. You have people... Yeah from every country, every race, every economic background, every age group, um, rich, poor, doesn't matter. Like Gay, have, straight, like... It, you got it. Yeah, Male, yeah. female, um, you know, anything you can think of, like disabled people, like everybody you can possibly think of has been through that gym and been part of the, the, the brotherhood, the fraternity well, there. There's, there's a guy who trains only grappling and, he, and I think he's South American and he's blind. Oh yes, Carlos. Carlos, yes. that guy. I mean, I've never spoken to him. Yeah. But he's blind, and he gets you know like, like I think he's completely blind, isn't he? Yes. And dude, he's a monster. No, he's he's a he's very, so he, good, he's like, a very good grappler. You yes. know what I mean? And he keeps coming back because he gets treated with respect at AMC, yeah. and like yeah. you know what I mean? And like people like don't shy away from him or think that he's not going to be something because he has a disability, right? It's like it's it's and like you know you know what I mean? And I think that he's probably had trouble with that at other places where nobody's going to give him time of day because he's like, well, he's blind. What what can he do? And it's like, we, yeah. I, yeah, that guy's so a monster. You know what yeah. I mean? No yeah. pun intended. That's very short-sighted because someone who, right. who's blind is going to have a superior feel for, right. oh, for yeah. the other person than someone yeah. who's, who's relying on their vision. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know him. I've never talked to him, but like, 
I, I can tell you every time that I see him, I'm there and he's there and he's out on the mat. I'm, I'm, I'm watching him because I'm like, this is amazing to me. You know what I mean? And it's amazing that there's, there's an environment where he can feel safe enough to do it as well to get good at it. You know what I mean? And that's, that's a good place to be. That's the thing I like is everybody in AMC pretty much who has survived the attrition and shown that they're not going to quit. Like, they become part of the brotherhood. They yeah. become part of the fraternity. Like, you know, they're... I haven't trained in seven years, but we're still friends. I yeah. stay in touch with you. Yeah. Like I see your social media stuff all the time. I still yeah. talk to other people from the Yeah, gym. and you know me, I'm waiting for you to come back in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've been waiting for yeah. ten years for you to come back in, you know, or eight years, nine years, right? Like For sure. And and that's the thing. It's like I feel like through martial arts I've met a lot of people that I wouldn't have met normally. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. I mean yeah. I don't think Carol's photo and I would be friends if AMC wasn't <laughs> no, around. Yeah. No, yeah. no. It's you know it expands your worldview. It, it expands your your network of people you know. It it opens your eyes to many things. I think beyond just learning right. martial arts. And, I, and we talk about you talk about AMC a lot on this because you have a lot of AMC guys on yeah. it. But I think it, it's 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 because that's our home. Yeah. And it almost sounds like this is like a uh, an advertisement for AMC. <laughs> no, it, it does. Man, but, not paying us. I swear. I'm not getting paid. But the not. other thing is like, but yeah. what, what I don't think people understand is like if you're not ha- and this is something I express to anyone if you're not having that same kind of feeling at your gym mm-hmm. then either a you're in the wrong place or 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 like your gym is not doesn't you know you're not you're not in the right place because of you or them and it's most likely because of them yeah right and so there's a lot of other gyms that are not as well developed and not as experienced and things like that and maybe not teaching as good of things but if you see people that are there are happy and they're developing themselves as martial artists yeah. and they're not under any misguidance right and they're and it's like their family then that's what that should be you know what I mean and Absolutely. that's what it should, always should be mm-hmm. and I and I think that, that, that people don't understand that like the reason we talk so highly about AMC is because it's my it's the first time I've ever really had a family it's my home away from it's my Asgard you know what I mean mm-hmm. And it's that place where, like, I'm not very... Nick says I'm an extrovert, but kind of outside AMC, I'm not that sociable. You know what I mean? I'm so full of shit, but... <laughs> I'm not, though. Yeah. I mean, like... Sure, Greg. I am, but... The, <laughs> all right, whatever. Are you going to fight about it? You're still talking right now. You're such an extrovert. You're going to talk about it. But I'm saying is, like, it's yeah. like, that's because I'm also very comfortable there. I'm very comfortable yeah. with yeah. you guys because you're yeah. my friends. I've known you guys for fucking over a decade now, you know? So Yeah. And I've done the worst things possible to each other. Oh god! I mean, yeah. we simulated murder on each other like hundreds of times. You know, funny how that brings you closer to a person. Yeah, it is a weird thing that people that have never trained martial arts don't yeah. quite understand. Like, like, wait, you try to kill each other and have knocked each other out? Yes, yeah, those are my like, best friends. Like, like Carol's, Carol's has broken my ribs seven times and has literally knocked me out in sparring. And I fucking hate him, but I love him at the same time. Like I love him, but if I like, you know what I mean? Like, like when you see the fighters hug after a fight. Yes, yeah. people that don't fight are like, oh, what are they doing? Like, oh, how cute. It's like, no, you don't get you it. You don't like, understand. Yeah. yeah, they've just bonded on a level you don't understand. Really, the only people that understand are fighters and people who have fought in wars. Those right. are the only people that yeah. can understand mm-hmm. that kind of brotherhood, where like mm-hmm. you can love that guy after almost dying with him, kind of thing. And I think yeah. it's also why me and you are, uh, Patrol and I get uh, like kind of a little like protective I think and we, we kind of are standoffish to people that we think are going to disrupt that Yeah, and I think it's the same thing like you said you can see who's going to make it where you can also see now you've been there so long which which majority of the time which person is going to be disruptive of who's that who's toxic who needs to be humble yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. like and a lot of people don't understand it like you know, like there's people that have come in they're like why don't you want to talk to him or be around him and, and there's one guy I mean recently that you know yes. what I'm talking and yes. I don't want to name names but it's like yeah. you don't understand like you don't have the foresight to see like in six months to a year, that guy is going to burn something here and then be gone. Yeah. And I don't and, need and, to be around him. Yeah, exactly. I mean? And and that's exa- and, that and it exactly always happens. happens. Yeah. yeah. 
and as, and as much as our, our gym, the sport attracts really high quality, awesome people from all backgrounds. Oh, fuck crazy people. We crazy had people. Some <laughs> tune motherfuckers come yeah, through. I mean, you're yeah. talking like one point there was a guy in there that got you know, one of three people in the state of Washington convicted of murder without finding the body, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, so yeah. you know, and Bob Sapp's mule. He's still in prison, I believe. Yeah, Bob Sapp's mule. <laughs> he was also one of the bigger cocaine dealers in yeah. Western Washington. That is a big old mule. <laughs> I, had, yeah. I had friends more of a pack elephant. <laughs> that guy, that that guy's. Yeah. Back has had some packs on it, if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, his bag, man. Oh, jeez. Oh, well, guys, I mean, we've covered like. Can we o- wrap this up? Hours. I got a pitch. Yeah, well, you know, we gotta wrap this up. <laughs> no, yeah, let's wrap this. But yeah, th- th- this uh, this has been great. So thank you, yeah, thank you, Nick, yeah, thank you, Greg. Yeah, this has been. I'll be a co-host whenever you want me to. For sure, man. And we yeah. won't talk about the social economical problems of Marxism. You don't need to worry about the, the, the other co-host desk. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. All right, well, this has been Pancreation Philosophy. Thank you, everyone, that's been listening, and goodbye. You guys can say bye to you. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.